All right, we are live uh, with the Deadly Analysis Podcast. Uh, thank you for watching. Actually, nobody's watching right now because I just started, so that makes no sense. But if you're new to watching our, our, uh, our fine podcast here at the Deadly Analysis Podcast, this is a place where pretty much our discussions and analyses are so good um, that they, they make your head spin. That's, that's the joke I'm going with. That's my intro joke. I don't know why I said that. Um, you know, our, uh, this is a place where philosophy compels us. These are awful jokes. I, I, they're not getting any better. I know one that's better. Um, every single one of us right now, all of the co-hosts right here are really, we're actually exorcists when you think about it. Why? Because we're all really good at ridding the world of spirits. Nope, I'm not gonna be a comedian. I can't do it. I just can't do it. I can't be a comedian. Anyway, today we are tackling uh, what is probably the most iconic horror film of, of at least the last 50 years, um, and that's The Exorcist, written by William Peter Blatty and directed by William Friedkin. And in case, you know, you've been living under a rock for the last 30 years, um, this film follows two priests with very different backgrounds, Father Karras and Father Marin, as they come together to rid a young 12-year-old girl of an ancient demon that has taken over her body. Uh, enter some projectile bile vomit, some peeing on the floor, some head contorting, uh, you know, crucifix, masturbation, fun stuff like that. And you have an iconic piece of cinema that's pretty much scarred the pious and God-fearing folks uh, in, of the land to this very day. Um, so we have kind of a unique opportunity, I think, um, in our session tonight, because I think every single person on this panel, myself, Josh, Shara, and Ben, I think all of us at one time were were fairly religious people. We're all, I think, Christians at one point, and now we're simply baby-eating atheists. We're, we're basically like Reagan. Like, let's be honest. Like, what Reagan is in the film, that's kind of how we live our day-to-day, -day, right? We we just throw up, we profane God, all of that stuff. Um, so, so we have somewhat of a unique opportunity, I think, to talk about the movie from maybe the perspective of when we saw the world through a religious lens versus how we see it now. Um, and obviously this movie is a deeply theological one. It, it, I mean, it has a theological beast as its antagonist. And so I sort of want to frame the entire conversation from the start with this kind of experiential dichotomy in mind, because I think it's going to be fascinating to address things like, you know, how scary the film was then versus it is now, um, you know, what we took from it then, what we take from it now, that sort of thing. And so with that said, um, this is actually Shera's uh, we're going to say it's Shara's first film selection. We did one for Scream, but we're going to redo that one. So this is really her first film that she selected to discuss um, for our podcast. So I'm going to throw this over to her and ask the same question I asked everyone else. Why did you dis Why did you decide to go with The Exorcist as the first film to discuss on your list? Well, it was uh, first off, it was one of the first films I ever really watched that was of horror genre. Like as I've said, Scream was my first, but then I was like, all right, I need more. And this one was really iconic, so I figured it was a smart place to keep going with it. Um, but at that time, I was a very staunch religious person who hardly ever cursed. Um, so there was a lot of parts to this film where I was like, Oh my gosh, this is horrible! But I liked it. And so that was a weird thing I hadn't really felt before, where I was like horrified, disgusted angry and kind of enjoying it all at the same time in one film also the performances were just so amazing there were so many shots from the film that just looked beautiful and just stood out in my mind always um, especially the uh, flashing of the demon face that just happens every once in a while throughout the film those would make those parts would make me jump like i jumped at a flash of a face and um 
that was when I realized there's a lot of imagery that you could throw at someone that can mess with their minds and make them feel things that don't necessarily make sense, right? It, why, why am I afraid of a face? But I am. So um, there was a lot of really cool stuff that came from it that helped me get really creative <laughs> with how I scare people because I've always been a prankster with people I live with. So horror movies are a great place to figure out ways to scare people in your life when you're walk around the corner. Boo. Um, <laughs> I where, do stuff like that. So. Where do you, where did you see this film for the first time? I I was at, I, I asked that for very iconic films like The Exorcist. I kind of know exactly where I was when I saw it. I you know what I mean? Like it was one of those like shocking. Oh my god! My heart almost bursts out of my chest moments. So I kind of remember the setting of where I was. Do you have that same kind of thing for this movie? I was in my bed late at night, and um, I had a cross above my bed, and I remember at certain parts of the movie. <laughs> I remember looking up at my cross and I was like, what am I doing with my life? I actually prayed afterwards. I was like, I'm sorry, God. <laughs> you know, like, please forgive me for watching this film. I felt like I did something possibly evil, um, but I still enjoyed it. So you mean you mean to tell me you it. didn't you didn't take the crucifix down and stab yourself? Like you didn't <laughs> no. like you didn't. OK, just make I'm just got to <laughs> no. ask you. No, but like a very inventive scene. That was a very, very inventive scene uh, to, to mess with people like me, you know, the type of person I was at the time. That, that was probably the most horrific thing you could have done. It was blasphemous. It was scary. Not only did she take a cross and like stab herself down there with it, but after that, she grabs her mom by the back of the head, forces her mom down on her and says, lick me, lick me. And the mom comes back with blood all over her face screaming. And you're just like, Holy shit, it's, it blew my mind. I thought it was the most disgusting, most horrible thing I've ever seen, so. Yeah, yeah the film does a really good job at wielding the profane, you know what I mean, as like a tool. It's, I think it's one of the best parts of The Exorcist is that um, the shock value is high. And, and to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, to this day, I'm surprised it did not get like a rated X um, rating. I, I, I don't know how that's possible. I mean, there's movies from the 70s and 80s that are, are less profane and, less vile that have had X ratings. So it, very strange to me that that was able to pass like that. Um, yeah, I, the biggest thing for, for me in this movie when I saw it the first time was the shock value of, of, of the statements of seeing a little 12 year old say, you know, fuck him, Garrett, fuck it. Your, your mom sucks cocks in hell. It's like, what, what, you know? And I think, I think that was a lot of the cultural appeal at the time. What made people so interested to go see it was kind of like that little dark party that likes to look at a train, like a car accident where it's like, I know it's so bad and everyone keeps saying it's so awful. I got to see it, but I shouldn't and I don't want to. And there's that inner conflict of going to see it. And I think part of that fed the sort of cultural hysteria behind the film and the, uh, throughout the history of the film um, because it was just so in your face and shocking. Um, and I, you know, we're a far way away from that, I think, today. Like, this isn't a bad film compared to the shit, I think, in today's film, but I can see this in the early 70s being wild. Yeah, they actually said uh, that when they were making the film, the guy who plays Marin, the priest Marin, he was not prepared to see a sweet little 14-year-old screaming those kinds of things at him. And when she started screaming the obscenities at him, he actually forgot all of his lines. He was just like, what the? Like, it even just acting it out affected him and he just forgot everything so um it, it was just very shocking for its time it's still pretty shocking now honestly um but there's a lot worse stuff people can access online so 
Some yeah, it, might be numb. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say it really pushed the push the limit of what's acceptable. Um, and uh, you know, I, I I actually think it still holds up today. I, I mean, I can we can probably all think of films that have had worse things, more shocking things. I think our sensibilities, my God, have they evolved since 1973? But it still has so much value when you watch it today in terms of watching it in 2017. You're like, oh man, that is that is brutal. I, I don't like to hear a 12 year old saying your mom sucks cocks in hell. Like that's, it flips your, you know, I, I've, and I've said this about most horror movies that have children is kind of the demon possessed or the antagonist. It sort of um, flips your intrinsic understanding of the world as it were. Cause we always think of kids as like these sweet, innocent, beings and um you got to really rely on on child actors who know what they're doing and i think in this case this film i i actually can't think of a performance that is as good as linda blair's in terms of child acting in a film like this that was crazy good what what else what did you guys think i need to know josh and ben when you guys first saw this film where were you the first time you saw it where were you guys? I, I had to go to someone else's house to watch it because I was super religious at the time. And yeah, you know, we all have that friend. You go over and you, there's a Playboy magazine friend. There's a rated R HBO friend. You have those friends where you just, you go, when you're a Christian and you go to them and you're like introduced to this world of sin. Uh, and I had a friend like that. So I, I was never a Christian. So I would never, I was never a oh. theist. Oh, never a so, theist, okay. And, and I was that, I was that friend. Um, <laughs> Because we don't really care about any of that shit. Um, and just as like a side note, you want to see something truly horrific that'll scar you for life. Just go to a junkyard that has moving inventory, uh, because they bring in cars all the time where people have died, and their blood is everywhere on those cars. And and for you, when you said that um, that you know that that human thing that we need to go, always look at the car crash as we're going by it. Um, I have no fucking desire whatsoever to look at the car crash and I have no desire to see that. that I, I just went to a junkyard to buy some steel for blacksmithing, uh, for forging. And it was a traumatic experience. There, the, there were at least 17 cars there that had airbags that had been deployed and there was blood covering all of them. Um, so it was a very real, very visceral. So, and, and I was immediately repelled by it. Um, this film, I was... I think I was 11 or 12 and I had stayed up late. Um, you know, I, I kind of against the wishes of my parents, I stayed up late and this, we had HBO, which was fucking phenomenal and the exorcist. Great. I'm going to watch this film. So I started watching it. And even back then I, I appreciated film as art. Uh, I knew there was something going on, but I didn't have a very developed sense of, uh, what was good and what wasn't good, but I knew that it was excellent. I knew that I was drawn into the imagery, uh, especially, you know, when they're, when they're out there in the desert in Iraq and they're digging through all the stuff. It was kind of like Indiana Jones, Spielberg, almost like camera work out there. And when he digs up the idol and finds the idol and he stands up, you get that scene with him standing on the rock and seeing the idol up, uh, up front. It's one of the very first images that I remember about The Exorcist. But I remember... I remember being thankful getting into the end of The Exorcist because that stuff didn't bother me. I I've always thought that that was just kind of like a circus act. The shit that fucked me up was when they were doing all the tests, when they were like jamming her in the neck with the fucking needle and the blood spurting out onto her from the needle. And she's just agonized throughout all of this testing. And I was like, I remember just my whole body was tense during those times when when Reagan was being, when all the tests were going, I'm getting goosebumps now thinking about it because I fucking hate that whole part. I knew that part would be the worst part getting through to it. 
But um, all of the other stuff, it was kind of like, especially when the priests are in the room at the end scene where they're you know finally together and he gets permission to to exercise the demons and um it, it just felt like yeah fucking get that fucking demon kick it in the balls get it out of here you know and it was a fight uh and it was a great dialogue and there was lots of uh really cool theological stuff going in uh to the stuff that everybody was saying and playing off of each other and i think that it was just really entertaining at that point it was like an adventure kind of entertainment um kill the bad guy kind of film at that point the 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 horror part of the movie for me was seeing the hospital stuff and i remember after i had watched it the first time uh i didn't watch it again for it's like event horizon i didn't watch it again for maybe fuck 20 years god i'm old uh like 20 years and when I went back to it, I, of course, had seen all of the parodies and everything that had come after. And it was just like, eh, whatever. But the hospital scenes, the testing scenes, even the scene where she urinates in the um, in the family room with all the people around playing the piano and all that shit. And she just urinates, tells them that some astronaut's going to die and then pees all over the floor. It still fucks me up uh, because it was so well done. It was so well captured. And the fucking scene when Marin gets out of the taxi and, you know, everybody knows the extras that iconic scene. It's on the cover of the the film boxes and stuff. But when he gets out of the taxi and just moves into the mist under the lamp post, it's just it's just so good. So compelling. And the fucking film won like nine Oscars, didn't it? Some like some some 12, 15 Oscars. It won a shitload of Oscars. Um, but when I came back to it the second time, I didn't fully appreciate, I think, uh, the cinematic beauty of the film as much as I did the first time. And then after a couple more viewings, I really did get into how cinematically it was just a, a genius film. It was just an amazing film. And then, of course, I did research on uh, how the director got the actors to, to do so well in this film. Like, there were scenes that these actors were just fucking distressed and and you the camera would be on them and you could tell it was visceral for them they weren't acting it was it, it was fucked up and you, you found out later that the director's smacking them around and shit to just yeah he fired gun, like a blank bullets to scare the shit out of him right before he'd hit yeah he'd say, just yeah. and so i mean it's just an amazing uh it's an amazing film and it will always be probably the uh horror film on top of all the rest. It's the apex horror film for me just because of its uh, its mixture of um, cinematic quality and uh, really fucked up imagery. But there's a whole other thing to go about that because it was made in 73 and it was after the 60s and the peace and love and all this other kind of shit and hippies had figured it all out. And then they were like, all right, I got one for you. Here's The Exorcist. And this is going to fuck you right in the goat ass with all of your hippie ideologies. Um, and uh, trying to get people scared back into faith, uh, which I think was kind of strange and interesting, but another another amazing facet of that film, I think. I've spoken too long again. No, no, these are all great things. Um, and I totally so one, I thought it's I thought at some point you were at least a theist when you when you saw this. I, I it was my mistake. No. Wow. Yeah, and I can see how I can see how. <laughs> Especially watching that as an eleven-year-old or twelve-year-old without uh, theological glasses, being seeing those those scenes in the in the hospital is sort of the primary fuck-up scenes because uh, those messed me up. Even watching it like two days ago, I was cringing. Um, but you said something really interesting: the cinematic 
quality of the film um, you didn't really appreciate till maybe going back and seeing it again. I cannot echo that enough. Um, I watched it two days ago and just the beginning, um, I didn't realize how slow the film was until I watched it again. And then just the beginning, um, the, there's a lot of depth of field in this film um, that it, it's magnified in this film and you see it in so many different scenes, the camera work in it. And I, I, I didn't, this. I had the same problem when we did The Wicker Man last week. I can't tell if films that are from the 70s kind of all do this because I haven't seen enough. If, like, I, I don't know if I'm just, I haven't seen enough film from the 70s to know if that's the sort of thing that happens. The other thing in this movie that I did not realize when I first watched it as a kid that I realize now is that there's almost no music there's tubular bells and there's very sporadic points of music, but there is literally throughout the course of the entire film, almost no music. There are long drawn out pause sequences where there's no dialogue and it creates a sense of tension that is just uncanny. It is so awkward. And I didn't, I had no remembrance of that. I, when I watched it as a kid, the thing that scared me was knowing I was going to see this, this demon go head to head with a priest. And it was Reagan that was scary, but watching it now, I, I got to appreciate all of the stuff I missed when I, when I watched it as a kid. Um, and I just had, it's probably the only film I can think of that had almost no music in it. And it didn't need it, didn't need it at all. So I totally echo that. Um, what did you think, Ben? When did you see this? Interestingly enough, I don't really honestly explicitly remember the first time that I saw this film, but I do remember having conversations about it when I was much younger. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I did grow up in a religious home. And uh, like, honestly, the messaging that was put forth to me by my parents was that, you know, yeah, when they saw this, it might not really stack up today. You know, when you look at a horror movie and like all the, the sort of visceral stuff that you might get. It's just no comparison really. But at the time in the early seventies, this was pretty much it. Like it was, it was the scariest, most messed up thing out there. And so, you know, their, their impression to me was, especially because coming into kind of like having, having this context in a religious home, they're like, well, why would you want to see this? You know, if you, if you express curiosity about anything like this, it's like, well, why, why would you want to see that? Why do you want to, you know, so I didn't have an early exposure to it. But when I probably did get around to seeing it, I'm sure what my impression was, you know, especially after all that buildup was, oh, well, the focus of this film, the whole point is going to be this scary demon, you know, to see somebody possessed and how messed up that is. And so that was, that was probably like the lens that I was looking through whenever I first watched this. And so honestly, I mean, if you're looking for it from that perspective, or at least for me, it's not really going to stand out. Um, you know, definitely the ambiance is there. You know, it, it definitely has that slow burn that I probably didn't appreciate, you know, when I was in my early 20s or my teens even. Um, but yeah, I'm going back and, and looking at this now and, and kind of looking at it and watching it for what it is, I, I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff here that, you know, even goes beyond that very well done atmosphere that they have that establishes that sense of dread and that unsettling sort of uh, tension that you talked about. Um, you know, really, I mean, just even beyond kind of like seeing the horror of, of having this child sort of affected by this. Yeah, that's scary. But I think the part that really sort of stands out to me is that it, it sort of echoes to me kind of like the problem of evil, if, if we want to, if we want to talk about that a little bit, right. So I mean, it's, to me, the, the, the main point of the movie probably is that line when he said, you know, what's the point of this? Well, probably to to cause you to lose hope or to make you experience despair, you know, it puts that doubt in your head, you know, of the probability that God is, is loving or even for, um, 
um, Father Karras, you know, he, he had his uh, sort of, res- he, he wrestled with his faith, you know, they, they established that at the, at the beginning of the movie, you know, you go into this and I'm sure that would shake you, but, you know, as Josh said, you know, something like this and, and probably by design would perhaps scare somebody closer back into their faith maybe. Um, but that really doesn't play out, I think, because there's no real resolution to me, or at least in this movie, you know, when you get to the end, there's no resolution, right? I mean, you have this terrible thing happen and this girl is possessed and both priests die, but the, the last one, Father Karras, he, he takes on this burden onto himself and he ends his own life. And that's just pretty much where they leave it. So there really is no resolution there. You have this sense of dread, the sense of despair and this problem of this terrible thing happening that never gets resolved. And honestly, you know, when, when I watch that today, that's, that stands out to me so much. It's so impactful and probably the thing that I appreciate the most about this film and it's in its honesty, I guess it's extremely honest in that way. So I'm going to disagree with you. I think there I was, was a resolution. Well. Feel free. Yeah. Uh, I think there was a resolution. And um, when I was, I, like I said, I watched this with a bunch of teenagers. I told you guys before we started, I watched this with a bunch of teenagers the, uh, uh, yesterday. And um, I watched it with my daughter who hasn't been raised with a lot of these viewpoints. And so once, once again, the scary part to her was the hospital stuff, the spurting of the blood, the machines around. She kept yelling at the screen, what are they doing to her? Make them stop it, mom. Like she was really mad and upset about what was happening to her there. But all the other scenes she wasn't really reacting to. Um, but one of the things I noticed when you got to the end and he becomes possessed with the demon and chucks himself out the window, all the girls grabbed their chest and they were like, oh my gosh. He's such a good guy. And then when he's at the bottom of the stairs and his friend comes over and grabs his hand and prays over him, they were like, oh, he got his faith back. And now he can go to heaven. Oh, and they were like so happy for him that he was able. Did you slap them when they did that? (laughs) No. I mean, people are going to have their perspectives. Um, (laughs) But I was just like, whoa, that's a really interesting reaction to what just happened here, you know what I mean? Um, it, it felt to them, they were reacting as if everything was resolved for him. All of his guilty feelings about his mother, all of the uh, wrestling with faith had been resolved for this priest to them, so. Well, I think I could, I could definitely understand that from a perspective, absolutely, because that's sort of that stereotype of self-sacrifice, right? You know, I mean, that's that kind of, um, that sort of uh, Christian morality that sort of comes through there, that the ultimate sort of um, you know, resolution of your, your internal state and of your morality is that, that spirit of self-sacrifice where you take on a burden, suffering, or even death for somebody else. So, I mean, even if a person isn't a staunch believer, I think that's sort of seeped into our culture enough that, you know, that would probably stand out quite a bit for, for most people, really. So, yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I, I, that's something to think about. I really didn't consider the idea of the, the, the force or weight of this film as a mechanism of bringing people to, to faith. I guess that seems obvious now that I'm hearing you guys talk about it. Um, I, uh, and, and maybe to add to that, I think that kind of did something like that for me, at least when I was a, a person of faith and I was watching it, um, because it certainly sort of, um, it, it, it made me double down on my commitments to a supernatural world and to otherworldly things that could go on. I was told by my parents that if I watch this movie, I'm literally inviting demons into my home, um, right? And, and there were other things. It wasn't just 
a film like this, but it was like, you know, Ouija board, you're inviting demons into your home. If you're, if you're watching The Exorcist, you're, you're open, you're open to it, is what my, my parents used to say. And um, so watching a film like that, it, from that kind of perspective made me, um, made me think heavily about, you know, my place in a kind of cosmic battle where these sorts of entities really exist and where they don't. And to that extent, I think it probably did sort of um, add weight to my own theological belief. It certainly didn't make me lose faith. And in fact, now that I think about it, I can't see how this film would do anything like that for someone who's who's religious. It only seems to help their faith to some degree, or, or at least make them believe it more. Um, so that I just never even thought of that until you guys started talking about that, which is really interesting. Um, that was actually something talked about, because I watched some old newsreels from when this film was a hit in the 70s. And that was um, something that the psychiatrists and psychologists were complaining about with this film, that it would possibly cause people with actual men mental illness to uh, try to put a supernatural um, cause to what is going on with them and probably not seek out the help that they need. So they were concerned about this film having a negative uh, effect on people seeking out help for mental illness. So. Yeah, I think that's a clear message in the film. And any any film that's like this that that rides on the cusp of reality, um, you know, we're not we're not talking about some faraway planet with a a ghost ship, or we're not we're not talking about like Freddy Krueger or something. You can look at that and say, okay, this is a horror film. This is fantastic. You know, this is is something that is um, is absurd uh, in its entertainment. But when you when you have a film like The Exorcist that bases itself on that uh, that realistic stance and and that that quality that a lot of Christians feel, um, you know, being possessed by a demon uh, is is still a running narrative in uh, theological uh, circles. So, I mean, if and and even if it's if it is now uh, a main or not a main theme, but, you know, a theme uh, among theological circles, uh, back in the 70s or the, or the 60s, when everybody was battling with this stuff, or where again, when people were in the the peace and love era and kind of more into themselves than they were uh, into some other outer spirituality uh, or some theistic spirituality, um, it really drives it home that there's a reason to believe in God, and there's a reason to fear God, and there's a reason to fear demons, and um, and all of that culminates in the end. I think when Karis is is, you know, I, I think Karis gets his faith back in full when he, you know, the power of Christ compels. You can see that he was this defeated guy and then he gets up from that like he's rising from the ashes of his former self and says, I know that God is on my side now and I'm joining in with Marin to defeat this demon. I think he knows then that he's his faith is restored. So that, that was kind of the resolution, Mark, f f that I was thinking about when uh, after Ben's commentary about how there wasn't a, a real resolution to the film. I think the resolution started uh, where, you know, uh, Karis was, he got up and after he'd been knocked to the ground and he, he uh, involved himself in uh, spraying the holy water and saying the power of Christ compels you to the, the part where his last rites were delivered. Um, and, you know, he accepted Jesus and uh, everything was resolved and everything was beautiful again. Uh, but, you know, it just drives home. It cements the the quality of of that fear of the unknown, because even though we saw 
uh, a demon possessing this person in this film. We saw this thing happening. Um, it was th- those scenes to me weren't the important scenes. The important scenes were when he was sitting, you know, with uh, what was the bishop and he was saying, you know, I can't do this anymore. I've lost my faith. I'm quitting. Um, those were the scenes that were that were the emotionally impactful scenes uh, for me or scenes like that and um, scenes that that everybody deals with uh, that, you know, we challenge our faith and we have uh, challenges put to our faith in whatever circumstance we believe, whatever uh, vehicle we believe. And we either overcome those challenges or we don't and, and we move on to a different world worldview. So um, I, I think because of that, theologically, philosophically, this film is an important film, not because of the scenes where Reagan is, is all demonic and possessed and transformed into this horrible monster, but everything that occurs before up to, you know, the, the meeting at the end with the two priests in the room, um, solidifying the faith and making sure that we understand this is possible in the real world. That's what good films do, right? No matter what they are, if they're, if they're sci-fi, if they're whatever, whatever sense they are, you know, it's a parody. If you watch something like Starship Troopers, which I love, I fucking love that movie. I'm just going to say it right now. I love Starship Troopers. Terrible fucking movie. I love it. I love it. Um, but because it doesn't make me think of any kind of realistic, uh, thing transpiring in any plane of reality that I could think, you know, it's pure imagination. So when it comes to, uh, films like the exorcist, you really can find the struggle of man inside and good and evil. And I, I think that it's a a good topic. If we're going to talk about the problem of evil, um, this movie is probably one of the better movies to discuss it with. Well, especially uh, something I noticed when I watched it this late, latest time, uh, when he was reading about this demon in the beginning, when he's like looking all this stuff up and uh, trying to figure out about this demon, uh, there was passages when he was hanging out with um, one of the other people that was in digging up stuff. And when the clock stopped, you know, in that room, um, when they were talking about stuff, he was talking about evil versus evil. And I found that really interesting that, that that was how to defeat this demon. And I was trying to figure this out all throughout the film. I'm like, what is, what is, what is the meaning of this? Why would they say that? What is the pur- purpose of this? And I almost wonder if they're talking about the fact that there was a struggle of faith from one of the priests, or was it because this little girl was in a secular home? Like, what was what is this evil versus evil stuff? What what were they meaning by that? Because usually it's good versus evil. That's usually how it's supposed to be put together. So why did it say evil, evil against evil? Well, I, I think that uh, another great film, uh, Backdraft, De Niro says, um, in order to hate something, you got to love it a little. And um, I, I, I think that, that it goes to that, that there is a, that, are, that there is a part, and Noah touched on this earlier, where you just got to look at the car crash to see what's going on over there. You know, you want to know if some bodies hanging out the door or if people are okay or if they're, you know, if they're getting the help they need. Um, and it's that, uh, it's that innate feeling that there's a, there's a possibility uh, that we're intrigued by everything in our environment, whether it's a moral good or a moral evil, we're still intrigued by it. Not, not only just because we want to understand it, but because it's, I think, intrinsically a part of the human condition. Shara, I appreciated that you called out that um, 
this does seem to be a secular home. Um, it's not really something that I feel like stood out until you actually said that because maybe it's just what I feel like is normal. But I mean, there was there was serious doubt about um, about the whole exorcism idea or even going to a spiritual person. You know, she said, "Well, you want me to go to a witch doctor?" Um, when somebody finally suggested to her that maybe it's more than psychiatry or psychology, or even um, what what also seemed interesting too is that when she finally did go to a priest, he was like exorcism what are you talking about you know you'd have to go like in a time machine you'd have to go back in time for this to make any sense whatsoever when somebody says i am the devil you know it's it's the same as saying i am napoleon bonaparte you know so there's that that really deep skepticism like just absolutely layered in um on a few different levels there so that was really interesting the the only way Shara, i think i can make sense of that and i thought about this too was was Think, think about how ultimately this, this demon is defeated. It's defeated by Father Karras through kind of a non-standard way. It's almost his doubt that gets him to the finality of that confrontation and allows him to win. Whereas if you contrast that with Father Marin, Father Marin is very by the books. He knows the rights. He knows the way. It's cut and dry. And, and he dies, right? He, he dies without successfully defeating essentially the demon. Whereas Father Karras wins, so to speak, right? He at least is able to to get the, the to cast the demon out of Reagan and it ends up costing him his life, but he ends up he ends up being the the being that that beats the antagonist of the film. And I think um doubt in a Catholic context and in a in a, a Christian context can be seen as as a as as a bad thing, as a negative thing, as an evil thing. I you know, look at the modern evangelical church. Um and this may be something more true of the modern evangelical church than Catholicism, but you know, doubt is bad. Doubt is not a good thing. Doubt is from the devil. It's a sinful thing. You're, if you're doubting, you're, you, you don't need intellectual stuff. You need spiritual stuff, right? A lot of evangelicals think that way. I know my family did, and I know the church I went to taught that. Um, and so if we take it that way, right, if we, if we see doubt as kind of an evil thing, then it kind of took evil to defeat evil. It took someone to come in and find themselves in the midst of that battle to finally get to the place where he could say the power of Christ compels you and be the, the, the final person to have that, have that final strike at the beast, as it were. So something like that maybe what's going on, but I, that's the only thing I can, I can make sense of that, that line. Yeah. I think that there was a... Um, there, first off, that we should talk about all the different things that this probably started... Uh, in film and in TV shows and so on and so forth. I guess this might be one of the things they started was the fact that the only person that can save all of humanity is this unorthodox uh, kind of dick. <laughs> you know, I don't think he was a dick, but you know what I mean? Like, he's a bad boy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he's um, he's a little bit more dark and brooding and is more realistic about the world around him. Isn't so, you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed. Um, has seen it all kind of a dark kind of a character. And I've noticed that in a lot of shows and movies. I know there's a lot of other aspects that this movie probably influenced, but maybe that was something that they hit. Well, I mean, and how... I, I think they did a great job developing that character, Karis character, because he was the psychologist that talked to all of the other priests that had fucked up shit going on. So not only did he have to deal with the shit that was going on in his own internal struggle. He had to deal with the most horrible stuff that other people were putting on their uh, religious leaders and then having to counsel them through it. So he, he probably had all of those things going on in his head at once. And, and who wouldn't think 
um, this is just crazy and the world is ruled by evil. Oh my gosh. And that means that he's totally prepared for what he did because, um, you know, he's taking on everybody's burdens all the time. That's literally what his job is. So his final thing, it's just, that's just what he does is he takes on everybody's burdens, which is why he felt such immense guilt for his mother being put in that hospital because he's so used to being able to just help people and take on everybody's burdens. That's his job. That's, that's his calling. That was his final calling too. It's, yeah, that's who he is. So I have a question for you guys. And uh, I never, while we're on the topic of like, like why did, why did, what was that evil versus evil thing? I had something like that in this film. Um, do you remember the scene where I think it was Father Karras um, when he's first trying to figure out if he's going to take this to the Vatican, I think, to or uh, see if it, an exorcism gets approved. And he takes just regular water and splashes it on, on Reagan. And she reacts as though it's, it's holy water. What was that about? I think that he was. I think he was in disbelief that she was possessed. But I mean, like, the, but the demon actually. What I'm saying is, the demon actually I, kind of was like responded, like it, like it. I think the demon was fucking with him at that point. Okay. I, I, I think I'm. I'm. This is just my opinion. I think that uh, the demon understood about him what the demon needed to do to get to him. I mean, even in the final scene, he's fucking up. You know, he's your mother sucks cocks in hell, which I just. I, I think it's so funny, but I mean, because what's wrong with sucking cock anywhere? So, I mean, it's just, uh, hell is just another it, place. Hell, if, yeah. I mean, why not? Anyway, um, does she enjoy it? I don't know. If she's enjoying it, leave her the fuck alone. You know, whatever. Um, but, you know, he's like, he gets knocked and he's like, shut up. And, of course, Marin's like, oh, no, so it was, it was, it gets loogie in the eye, like, shit, blah, 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 blah. blah, blah. And and the demon is getting to Karis. The demon is 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 pulling all of his strings, and it's working. He's fucking up. If it was just him alone, he never would have been able to complete what was going on in there. So I think that the that the demon knew what the demon needed to do to get to him and keep him from uh, doing the thing that the demon didn't want the demon to, uh, didn't want Karis to do, which was expel from Reagan. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Because he, the, what, I, I see what you're saying. So what could, ha what could be the case is it, it's like the demon's way of saying, oh, yes, oh, ow, this hurts me, right? Because that's going to make him think, oh, she's probably not really possessed. That totally makes sense. That actually totally makes sense. Or maybe Georgetown just has really bad tap water. We don't know. A, a, a very, very astute assessment. So yeah, maybe, they, maybe they filled it in Flint. <laughs> I was gonna go there, but I didn't. What the rule is, whenever you're gonna go somewhere, Josh always gets there about a millisecond quicker. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. That's true. I did get there a little it's quicker. It's a political now. statement on our tap water. That's that's all it was. Quite frankly, that may have been worse than anything in the actual film itself. <laughs> he went there. He went to the bad place. Sorry, had to be done. <laughs> But no, like, I, I think that the demon really was fucking with him. Like, he really knew how to get in his head. Um, sorry, I have my fan on because it's so hot. And then I forget that I have it on when my microphone's, um, when I turn my microphone back on. But anyway, um, like, yeah, I think he definitely w was fucking with him. But the thing with Marin that you know when you read through the books and see the sequels, uh, which are technically prequels, Marin's already fought this demon twice and once. 
uh, exorcise the demon twice. Um, this is his third time, and he ends up dying. And I feel like Marin knew it too. Like I feel like he knew this was it. This is the last. You think battle. that's why? Um, whenever uh, Karis tries to go to him and is like, you know, don't you want to know anything about the background? There's this personality and that personality, and he's like, no, no, no. There's just one. He's like, I know this guy. We we go way back. We go all the way back to this dig. We met a couple of times at some really bad. <laughs> I've measured his dick. That's how big it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've seen him. Speaking before. of dicks. So the creepiest thing about this statue, because I, I was looking in about the, the statue of Pazuzu, um, they use all these different animal parts to this creature um, that represents the demon. And part of that creature's parts is that he has this evil snake coming out of the front of him as a, this like evil snake dick. He has a scorpion tail. He has a lion head or a dog head. Um, this This was a demon back in the Babylonian times that uh, was responsible for any plagues, any weather that went bad, anything that just went to shit naturally, like natural disaster kind of stuff, or when there was no food or water, or there was a bunch of locusts, it was him who did it. Um, and the reason why anybody would have any of his statues was because supposedly having those statues keeps you from getting harmed when those things happen. It's like those statues are supposed to keep that evil at bay. So um, I'm trying to figure out, you know, if there's a big giant statue there because they were actually trying to block out the things. And I know that the person who wrote this story and the people that were behind making the film, they really looked into historical stuff to try to make it seem as realistic as possible. I think that their point of that was to make it realistic to make people believe it more. Um, but it makes I, sense. It makes sense logically. Like if you're a demon and you're passing over a town and you're about to like wreak havoc, but you see like yourself, like they actually caught, like if I was a demon and they carved me, I'd be like, dude, that town's legit, man. Like, look at me, look at me. Look, well, they got my dick fair. right. They got my dick right. Uh, I'm not, I, how could I hurt them? Yeah. <laughs> be fair, that's totally a God move too. If you think about the Passover, just going to throw that out there. So maybe there's not really a whole lot of difference. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Profane. Have we, have we discussed uh, Pazuzu yet? I mean, because the people watching may not understand what yeah, the hell we're Yeah, if we could talking. go into Pazuzu, that would be really interesting. I mean, th this, is a, this is a demon that came from the Babylonian Assyrian like, mythology, mythos. But the thing that's interesting is all that mythos led to what the Jews started believing and then led to what Christians believe and so on and so forth up to our time. So this stuff has just kind of been a, a really bad game of telephone, <laughs> you know, passed along to us. Yeah, I, so, I just wasn't certain that any everybody knew that Pazuzu was the demon that was actually in Reagan and the Exorcist and the original. Yeah, there's a there, isn't there a spot in the film where uh, where the the demon that's speaking says that it's the devil? Is that am I is that's this that happens right? Once again, he's fucking with them. I think like yeah. this guy is a dick. Like he, this demon is a dick. He's even dropping his boss's name. That's how much of a dick he is. <laughs> He's like, I, I, I know people like that boss, too. If you impersonate your boss, you got to be a real fucking asshole. I mean, right? Uh, I wouldn't know. I am the boss. So. <laughs> you are the devil. So now who's impersonating you? That's Who's your Pazuzu? That's what we need no to know. No idea. But as soon as I find him, I'm going to fuck him up.
with your snake dick. <laughs> with my giant snake dick. With a spike. I remember the, the statue in the in the church that had like the Madonna tits on it and the, the giant spike cock that was, you know, attached to the front of it. I thought that that was a, a kind of an iconic scene. But every time I see that now, I can't, I can't think of it without thinking like breakdancing electric boogaloo, like like the electric boogaloo, because they had all that weird shit that they pasted everywhere. And I'm like, oh, look, I'm about to see Turbo come out and do fucking head spin. Beautiful. Just to ask, is that ever explained in the course of the movie at all? Like, they I mean, you talk about like... it. Uh, they, they, when they're trying to investigate the murder and they're trying to investigate all these things that are going on that seem to be kind of weird, they're like, there's got to be a connection here. Something's connected, but they don't really show. Yeah, I, I, how I, it's connected. I don't think that, I think that that, if there's a part of the movie where I think they could just cut everything out of. It's that whole fucking detective scene shit. I like that whole thing was just like, where is this coming from? It's not developed in any way. It's not very good. It doesn't. It seems out of place in the film. They could Can have you done get my it daughter's, entirely. My daughter wants your autograph. Okay, it's for me. I was like, yeah, yeah it seemed just, out of place. Like out of her place friend just got murdered. Do you think that maybe you could not be a dick right now? Or at least give it, it, it's it, if you're gonna have a scene like that, the detective needs to have a much larger role and, and a place in the narrative. If you're gonna have that kind of a conversation, it seems so out of place because he just doesn't really serve any larger purpose for the film. Yeah, that's a, definitely a criticism. I think that's super valid. Another criticism that I have is that the, that the I think that the book was again. I, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of a sucker for literature. I just think the book is so much fucking better than the film. You know, in in the uh, in the book, she actually masturbates with the crucifix and brings herself to orgasm with the crucifix. And I, it would have been like over the top if they had put that in the movie. Probably, it probably would have. If if she was, it, that's a, like a prolonged scene. It's like this demon fucking herself with a crucifix to orgasm like i but there's a feeling that you get from it when it's being described in the book that it's entirely different than than what you see in the film so again those scenes weren't like shock value to me i don't like it when anybody's stabbing themselves uh with anything sharp especially in their genitals but they it it really didn't have that much of an effect on me it wasn't the scene i think that the book it wasn't true to the book it wasn't the scene that the book wanted to wanted it to be it really did seem, I mean, even, even the way it was in the movie already, it already seemed fairly over the top to me whenever I saw that. Um, yeah, it just kind of, but um, how many scenes would you say are like that in terms of the stuff that's in the book versus the movie that are just like leagues above what they actually show? I, I, I am disappointed with the final scene where, they, where the actual exorcism happens. Um, although the movie did, a, I think it did a great job of doing this. Um, it's still there was an element of hokiness to it. Um, but I, again, I think Father Marin, it, it was it was a fantastic scene. But I was able to paint a much more vivid image of that scene in my imagination when I read the book than when I saw it on film. When I saw it on film, it was like, nah, OK, that. But what about this part? It's like um, it, it's not as bad as like Harry Potter being adapted into films because those films. Except oh God! Don't like get Josh to talk about Harry Potter book for one, oh one and two. So Philosopher's Stone uh, uh, and and Chamber of Secrets. Those films they did an okay job. Okay job. Every other fucking film 
was a was a blasphemy when it came to the books. And this I don't think went that far, but I think that the imagery that you get when you read the book is much more vivid and much more terrifying uh, than it was in the film. Uh, but the hospital scenes in the film were definitely much more terrifying than they were in the book, I think, because they were vi that that real visual. We've all been to the hospital, you know, that kind of a thing. It, it's right there in your face and it and it and it scares you. It elevates that sense in you, whereas in the book, it's just kind of eh, whatever. It wasn't until it got to the supernatural stuff, the, the creepy theological stuff that uh, that I was just I was disappointed that it didn't go far enough for me. But uh, the scene where she master where where she's stabbing herself in in her genitals with the crucifix, I think I think Ben, you're absolutely right. I still think it was prolonged. And when she's like holding her mother's head down there and saying "lick me, lick me, lick me," it was it was just kind of like, okay, come on, that's enough, that's enough. Let your mother go, and stop doing this now. Let's get on with the film, please. Thank you. You've had your you've had your fun, so stop it. Yeah, I and think, just to, uh... I think that the, it's, it is kind of fucked up, though, just because I have a 14-year-old daughter, and all I could think of when watching it this time, though, is if that happened with my daughter, that would fuck me up. Like, it would fuck me up so bad. That, it, it scared me a lot more this time around, watching that scene. <laughs> and I'm not even a believer of that stuff, but if my daughter was behaving that way, or, like, I have some doctors over, and she's like, fuck me! I'd be like... Excuse me, young lady. You will sit back down on your bed and you will think about what you just you did. You will not be fucking anybody today. <laughs> yeah, I would have been like crazy. They were like, "Oh, I'm so scared." I would have been like, "Excuse me." <laughs> I would probably would have gone into bitch mode. And just if I could, just to uh, to speak on the the psychology part about going into the hospital and having the brain scans. Honestly, the noise and stuff uh, with the technology that they had at the time gonna have to say that that's probably fairly realistic uh and just to just to maybe officially apologize for the entire field of mental health because of like some truly atrocious shit that was done for the sake of 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 that uh <laughs> particular academic field um yeah not gonna lie it's uh, pretty pretty messed up we all formally accept your apology on behalf of your entire discipline very official but but like seriously that's why this film can be so powerful for people of faith because they have experienced these horrendous practices done uh by doctors by scientists um and we've heard all of the horror stories of what happened in certain you know homes so um i think we were at, at that time period we were at this place where people were like trying to figure out how do we help our fellow man is it with science is it with faith like what do we do and this movie so perfectly showed that this mom tried everything she could have ever had. And this is why I think they made her a famous superstar, you know, uh, had lots of money and had all the best doctors and all the best scientists. I mean, they have her go to a room where there's like every scientist you could think of and doctor you could think of like, I just don't know what's going on here. It's weird. Um, yeah, yeah. They, they might, they might as well have like Richard Dawkins in the side going, I don't know. It's maybe demons. Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what they were doing. They were like, okay, we've, we've, tried everything um and we can't we can't explain this one thing so that's why she finally goes into well let's try this other thing we haven't tried yet which is um an exorcism and the cool thing about that though is that wasn't even a thing that really anybody knew about and they even mentioned that in the film they were just like oh we haven't done this in like 500 years you know there's like one 
random thing that happened a couple, you know, a couple years back, but only one find, guy knows how to do it. We should find data. There's got to be some data for like the the increase in exorcisms from the Catholic Church after this movie compared to before. It went through the roof, but yeah. on top of that, so did uh, uh, people going back to church and going to confessionals. That the population going into the confessionals, going into the Catholic Church went through the roof as well. How, how awesome would it be to get into the Vatican's records? I mean, the very first thing that I would be looking at is the trial of Galileo. I'm derailing the entire show, but it would be really fucking cool to get into the Vatican's records and just spend a year, you know, just doing research. I mean, maybe that's it's the kind of thing I would want to know too. Like even just how a movie like that could have effects on, you know, the population going into things, but uh, also what how they've affected other historical stuff. It would be very fascinating to know how numbers can be manipulated or people could be manipulated really it's not even numbers it's actual human beings being manipulated by uh certain bends of stories or propaganda yeah, yeah. that's got to be a trip to think about like a, a piece of what's supposed to be a piece of art and literature and cinema ends up ends up uh you know, cre creating essentially a, a kind of weird revival through a counter mechanism, like a movie about a demon, you know, really interesting to think of how that works and how um, cinema as a tool can do stuff to that kind of magnitude accidentally in this case. Um, very interesting. Well, and it's also interesting that Christians would even say anything against this film or say that it like creates this environment where you're opening yourself up to demons because it actually had the exact opposite effect on our culture. Yeah. So death it, threats. There were death threats to the staff and to the cast and well, shit. Well, and, and to yeah, to Linda Blair, she had to have uh, the director had to hire on bodyguards for six months after the film because there were people telling her she was the devil or had the devil in her and freaking out about That's her. So she couldn't crazy. go anywhere. That's so crazy to me. And she said she'd go to a grocery store and people would run screaming from the grocery store when they would see her. They it were still happens. It still happens today. Um, uh, the Walking Dead. It's a hugely popular show. And Eugene, uh, the, the, the actor who plays Eugene, Josh McDermott, had to shut down his social media because people were threatening to kill him. They were sending him death threats because he was, <laughs> working, for, he was working for Negan. And like it spilled over into this world. It happens all the time. You know, yeah, what is it that they say? Uh, life imitates art and so on and so forth. I mean, there are real effects like that. And I forget exactly it what it is. And and maybe it's uh, maybe it connects back to the religion thing too. But like, you know, you definitely see whenever there are, um, you know, riots or disasters or, you know, things going on that sort of scare people, they do tend to retreat to a more conservative viewpoint. Um, and of course, conservative viewpoints and traditionalism do sort of relate back to religion as well. So uh, there's something there about having those sort of primal fears evoked and then suddenly getting all conservative and religious in general. Well, religious. Time to time to ban horror movies. That's it. Yeah, no, it. no. I was just going to say, and then you get Trump, you know, you get like, I'm tired. I'm, I'm like, it's just like seven degrees of separation to Trump. No, actually just like four degrees of separation to Trump. But like you get people who are angry at television characters in real life and want to kill them. Like this is, this is, Okay, I'm gonna I'm going off into some political thing now, but it, it is our society, a society that can elect Trump. All people that portray other characters in films need to fucking worry about where they're going. Yeah, I think um, I think that is kind of why Trump is a phenomenon today. Is uh, you know, he's known from his reality TV 
Um, he was, like, people knew him as a character he played on a TV show, right? And I think the way that he was portrayed as being so rich and powerful and having the ability to fire celebrities, you know, that we all know and love, um, it, I guess it implanted the idea in people's head that he would be a good leader for other things. You know what I mean? Which is ridiculous, but yeah. Whatever. Now I'm starting to get depressed. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say the contemplation We're talking about this, the exorcist. Yeah, the contemplation of this is worse than the movie. I, this, is, this is bad. This is it. But, I mean, honestly, that this ties into the movie, too, because what is her job? Her job is, as an actress, uh, someone who people are paying attention to, and she knows the implications of all that, too. Like, all the stuff that's going on in her life, I mean, she's getting bruised in the face. Like, it's possible her daughter murdered the director of the film she's in. He toppled out of their house. There's, like, so much that could happen there for her career, for her future. I, I wonder why the story made us hate him. I, I'm curious about that. Why do we hate the direct? Why do we, why are we made to hate the director? Is it is it to add kind of the oh well we don't really care about how he died. We're just glad he's dead, and it doesn't really matter who killed him. I think it's interesting that that the that the character in The Exorcist was an antagonist, and that he was meant to be somebody that was very not well liked. Uh, I have a theory on that. So, and this will go into the other layer of the film. Um, I feel like this is a, once again, a coming of age film. We've talked about this with a lot of stuff, but once again, we have a 14 year old woman, <laughs> you know, uh, starting I just up with like, her stand by, like stand by me, the exorcist. <laughs> so both of these are in the same genre of films. So fantastic. Yeah. It's another coming of age film. You know, you got 14 year old girl. She's uh, just starting her period, just learning about masturbation. You know, all that stuff is, you know, coming to fruition. She's becoming a grown-up. But on top of that, she's in a broken home. And we find that out when she's uh, asking her mom for a horse. And she's, you know, her mom and her have this great, wonderful, loving relationship. They're so close. Where's the dad? Well, the dad, mom's on the phone with the dad at one point, which, oh my God, the shot in this film is one of my favorite shots in all all film history. I know it's such a ridiculous thing to love, but you have, you know, the helper and the mom on the phone talking to the dad and it's panning away slowly down the hallway. And finally you see that Reagan's listening to her broken, like her broken family and the is, yelling. Is the fireplace going the whole time or does it pan all the way back to her and then the fireplace ignites? I can't remember. I don't remember if that was I don't was remember. The case. They were pacing in front of the fireplace, but I don't recall the fireplace being ignited until they got back to her and she was doing something and thinking about something. And then that's when I remember the fireplace igniting. It might be. And that might be like the spark that helps the demon even be able to enter her because she's in this broken home. She's suffering with that. And, um, you know, you could tell that she's upset about it. But then at one point she told, tells her mom, you know, it's okay if, you know, if you want to bring him along, you know, it, it's okay. And she's like, why would I bring him? What do you, why would I bring him along? Well, no, you know, it's okay. If you want to go with him, that's fine. Like acknowledging, hey, mom, I understand my dad's a piece of fucking shit. And if you need to move on and be with someone who's actually going to treat you right, you know, go ahead and do it. But clearly this is not a person who, he's a troublemaker. He's an asshole. I, what was he accusing that guy of being a Nazi? I think was what happened and they went to blows over it, which I thought was very, uh, very aware of what would happen today. Like, it's like the movie knew 2017 and predicted it, accusing, uh, accusing people of things. But 
um, he, he was made to be kind of a nasty character. And maybe the mom has this continuing thing where she just keeps getting with toxic guys. And I think it's William Friedkin's frail ego. Yeah, he had to get a build a director being killed. Is like, well, they don't like me. So I'm just going to have the director get killed in my film. Take that. Yeah, maybe it was a reflection of who he is, you know? It's like, this is how everybody looks at me anyway. I'll just put this character like in this bad light. Yeah. That is always a possibility in film. People fuck around with films like that all the time. I, I, that would not surprise me. So, so I, have a, I have a question that kind of, kind of touches on what you said here. And it's, I'm going to ask it. It's a very broad question. I'm really curious to get your thoughts on this. And then I'm, if you don't know William Peter Blatty's, I'm going to give you his. But I want to know your answers first. Um, is this a, um, a feminist film in any capacity? That's it. I'm not, I really want to say more, but I'm, I'm panning it off. Okay, um, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, for me, uh, this is some of the best performances I've seen of any female actors, hands down. Uh, you know, El, what is our Ellen Bernstein? I can't say her last name. It's spelled weird. Uh, she's one of my favorite actresses. Um, some of the physical shit she went through during this film, um, she ended up injuring herself when being thrown back. Uh, it permanently damaged her spine. And she still to this day has like a completely straight up and down spine. Like she can't even walk properly due to how much was put into her role in this film. And she did the same exact thing with Requiem for a Dream, uh, where she was an addict. Um, her performance is she goes all in. And I think she actually fucks with herself psychologically when she does it. But this is also an actress who has personally gone through um, some very abusive relationships. She doesn't even get married anymore after her third marriage, which was, she was with this schizophrenic guy who beat her all the time. After that um, marriage ended, she hasn't even gotten remarried. And um, she really puts this thing into her role. You can tell she's been through shit. You can see that she's been through shit. You can see it in her eyes. And um, as far as Linda Blair, like that's one of the best performances I've ever seen from anyone. Like child actors, I hate, Every time there's a child actor in a movie, I'm like, fuck this. I don't want to watch this. But I didn't even think that at all. This whole entire movie, I didn't think that ever, like, even for a second. Um, even when she's like, come on, Captain Howdy. That's not very nice. She still did that. Wow, like, that was, kid like, really good. That, the way you just, <laughs> that was actually, like, I could have turned off the camera and that would have sounded exactly oh, like Oh, are you comparing me yeah. to Linda Blair with a blush? <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, like... So as far as like what they did, um, what they did for that role, even the scary monster voice that was used for Linda Blair was done by an iconic uh, woman who uh, Orson Welles said was like, she was the person for radio. She was the voice. And she put a lot of all into that scary voice. She uh, smoked as much cigarettes as she could, drank, drank as much whiskey as she could, uh, <laughs> and like made sure she had that real good rasp. I wonder, like, I wonder, like, how many people who knew her asked her to, like, do their, like, their uh, voicemails, you know what I mean? Like, for oh, the next yeah. year? Like, hey, can you, like, can you just say, fuck him, <laughs> Garrett, fuck him, as my, like, voicemail? Can you do that? <laughs> oh, my God. I would, I would just throw the phone and be like, fuck you. So, so here's why I asked that question. If, is this, is this anything like a, a feminist film? Because for, it, it, throughout the 70s and early 80s, um, this film was critiqued in that way as being something like a um, a film about a young, pre like pre-adolescent, adolescent, adolescent um, girl burgeoning into womanhood, 
right? And and you have these these white males, Catholic traditionalist white males saying, get back in there, demon, the power of Christ compels you, right? Stop growing your boobs. Stop having your period. Go backwards, right? I don't know where the accent comes from. Apparently old white guys have accents. But like, so for a while, that was kind of one of the, uh, there was a lot of uh, stuff in college in the 70s and 80s that critiqued this film. A lot of it was from a, a kind of feminist perspective. Um, William Peter Blatty hated that. Um, he disliked that interpretation heavily, but like, I kind of think like you, you can't, at least from the film, um, which I can speak more to than the book, at least from the film, it, it's hard to walk away not seeing some of that in there to some degree. Um, this kind of um, desire to return this young woman to innocence, right? Um, it's, I, 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 there's got to be something there, I think. I, I don't think it's too far a stretch to, to interpret scenes, at least scenes in the film that way. And we interpreted the witch similarly. We talked about that possible interpretation. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think that that is, it's very obvious that that could be where you go with it. Um, as far as the person who wrote it, old white guy wrote it. I mean, maybe he doesn't even know that that's... Rolling over in his grave right now, Shara. Look at what you did. <laughs> I don't even care. Like, I watched, uh, I watched this documentary he did where he went back to the place in Encino where he wrote this book. And uh, he read uh, excerpts from it, and uh, he's got a real good creepy voice, man. This guy, the author of this book, he does a good creepy voice when he's reading his own book. I suggest you guys look it up on YouTube. It's pretty good stuff. But, um, I mean, th this guy is like, he, he makes me think he's the kind of guy who would fart and be like, hmm, yes, hmm, <laughs> so good. Like, he's kind of... Hey, we, we, we all have those moments, all right? <laughs> Everyone's own brand is their favorite. C calm down. Wait, 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 wait. what? Okay, I, <laughs> okay, I'm disavowing myself from, from that statement. Okay. Josh is like, wait, I didn't have well, anything to say about any of this until you yeah. said I smell my own farts, and I'm yeah, like, no, no. No, I would pass. Which pass, is also yeah. pass, pass. But forever, and smelling any of that ever again, I would not. Not want that for me or anyone else. I like that's his two cents. Nope, <laughs> it wasn't me. It's like, but, what are we talking about? <laughs> but like, I mean, this guy, he seems to be pretty fucking full of himself. You know what I mean? He's pretty proud of, you know, how he worked through his process. Um, and um, I, I kind of like how his process is, though. I mean, he went and stayed in this home kind of alone yeah he wrote he got a night. ouija board wrote at night most wrote of the time right? yeah. got an ambiance going for when i mean i can appreciate what he did and he really heavily researched things so um it adds a, an, an element of realism so kudos to him but i think there's it's worthy of critiquing some of those aspects yeah i mean i i like i said I, I i certainly think it's fair to critique it from a feminist perspective um i think his it, he had said something in an interview that his goal was loftier than that that it was higher than that and that ultimately um his goal was to to um to sort of underscore the reality because he he actually does believe in demonic possession it's it was to underscore the reality of the supernatural and and that the more i'm talking about it and the more you guys are starting to make me realize how actually how obvious it is that a lot of the push of this film whether whether on purpose or accidental is a bringing backness of faith a returning to faith um it's becoming just that's the the central thing that i think i really really fucking missed um as being so prominent either purposely or not purposefully for this movie um 
j just to kind of throw my two cents in here, when I when I first saw this movie, um, the 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 fear in it for me, right, was like having a face to face encounter with something that being usually a part of your theological framework is abstract. So when you're a Christian, you know demons are real, you believe in demons, but they're, 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 you, you read about them. You, you don't really ever see a demon. You, they're thousands of years ago, they're in a book, they hop into some pigs and they get drowned. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's a sense in which they're real, but you don't really, there's no encounter with them. And this movie shows you very viscerally and violently in your face, um, it's no longer an abstraction, and, and, and the harm that it produces is harm that's more than just physical torment. It's a very deep, soulish pain when we think of how this demon attacks Father Karras, and, and it's a psychological wound, and it's deep, and it's his soul, and it's his person, um, and it's, it's, it's kind of a mixture of, of visceral violence and a psychological terror that it inflicts on you. And when I was a Christian, that did the work. That made me scared because I believed that these things were real. The wild thing is that when I saw this movie recently, and I don't have that same framework, and I haven't had that framework for a while now, I'm no longer a Christian, um, the film was comforting. And, and I kind of want to explain why. It's, it's a really weird thing to say. I was trying to explain this to Danielle, to my wife, because it... When I watched it, it felt, um, it didn't scare, those scenes with Reagan did not scare me anymore. They made me feel at home. It was like, it reminded me what it was like to have, to be like in a cosmic battle of good and evil, to really believe that those things exist and that you're part of this narrative and this larger story of God versus Satan. And it didn't scare me. It almost made me feel nostalgic. It was it was just the weirdest experience. Um, and the fear was no longer a theological fear. It was something that probably speaks to the fears I have now, which was sort of looking into a mirror. Like Reagan to me was a mirror for Father Karras and for Father Marin. It, it was a way of, Reagan was basically a mirror of confronting like crises, 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 uh, that are really largely outside of their control. So for, for Father Karras, it's the death of his mother and the decision that he made, and it's something he can't fix, and it's something he's haunted by. And Reagan is the mirror into that fear for him, right? Uh, and maybe, to a certain extent, maybe that's the answer to why um, the, te the, the, the flint water, <laughs> I guess we'll call it, affects the demon, is that maybe the priests are like a mirror to the demon, too. Maybe there's a kind of reciprocal relationship going on between the characters in that way. Um, but the fear in, in this particular viewing of the film, I saw Reagan as, like, the same fear I got from Reagan was kind of the same fear I have when I'm in a plane. And let me kind of explain what I mean. Like, when I'm, I used to have a really big fear of flying. I don't have it as much anymore now, but it's mostly because I get shit drunk when I fly. But uh, uh, the the fear in when I'm in a plane is that I'm, I can't get out even, I, there's nothing I can do when that plane's in the air that's in my control. I'm stuck, I'm locked in, and I can't, in, under any circumstances, fix or move out of that cabin, that situation. I, there's nothing I can do, I'm locked. And when I, when I look at Reagan, I, I kind of see that same sort of thing. I see an entity that is showing you things that are outside of your control, showing you your fears that are outside of the realm of things you can fix. Um, and it, especially using Father Karras as, as the prime example of that. Um, so it was really, it was a little more complex fear this time around, but it was certainly a less visceral fear. I think the visceral fear I had was when I viewed this as a Christian. Um, and the fear I have now is a little more abstract, maybe a little more thoughtful. Um, but 
the fear wasn't the primary thing I felt when I watched this this time around. It felt like just super comforting and nostalgic. It was like a warm blanket. I know it sounds sadistic as fuck, but it was like it was like wrapping up in a warm blanket, seeing the power of Christ compels you and and the conversation about how, you know, this happens because you know, I, I, Ben, I think had mentioned this quote earlier that, that you know, that Satan wants to make us think we're animals in order to give us despair. And like you, there's a fight there, you know, there's a put up your dukes thing there and, and you're in it, you're a part of it. And I miss that. I miss thinking that way. I thought that way when I was an apologist, that was part of like my narrative is, is I'm here to put up your dukes. I was doing my own little Veritas 48, the power of my webcam compels you, you know. Uh, so yeah, I hope that makes sense. I, it was a really weird jump for me, um, watching this the second time around. It was almost a completely different film. Yeah, it was a completely different film for me too. Uh, not, not just cause, you know, now I'm in a, a more secular mindset, but like Reagan is literally my daughter's age in this film. And, um, she also comes from a broken home as you would put it. Um, I think we have a pretty good family life now, but technically her biological father is not so involved um and i and i keep seeing these things that are coming up like when you you see her hanging out with her mom my mom i want to show you something cool i'm into and it's just like me when i'm like oh yes everything that you're interested in i'm interested in. i'm so excited to hear about this or when kylie asks for things like how reagan was like oh i want a horse and it's like oh we'll see about that that's not happening and then like a couple days later all right we're gonna go look at horses because you know i love you um it, it, same exact kinds of conversations that same exact kind of love and then when it flips around and, you know, Reagan's going through all of her crap, uh, it scared the shit out of me. I was like, oh. No. On that note, on that note, we actually have a comment from a viewer that kind of goes to what you're saying. So the, the comment is uh, from Growth Spiral. Um, isn't this one of the first, I guess, saying, isn't this one of the first films where um, that destroyed the myth of childhood innocence in films? And now what happens is that so many scary films are sort of full force like baby demons, right? Whereas, you see what I'm saying? So like an exorcist, there's kind of that first destruction and erosion of, of like it's, it's post-Vietnam era. I'm sorry, it's um, not post-Vietnam era. It's, uh, it, it's, it's one of the first um, films where the sort of post-Vietnam era schema of children being the antagonist starts to develop. And today, we're so far down that line that what we have now is like baby demon movies. Which that's, there's literally movies about like little baby demons. Um, and, and exorcisms about like fucking infants and shit. Um, so I think it's common is that the, the exorcist is sort of like the first, like the, the birther of this kind of genre. Yeah, I mean, uh, the thing is, is there's always been that conflict between, you know, a younger generation, generation and an older generation. There's always going to be a conflict that's hitting its head against each other. And um, when you see these films where it does that, you, you can so easily feel that impact and that was a huge thing going on during that time period it's hitting us again as we can see politically we, we are definitely hitting a big wall like that again um so i, I think these films are a great metaphor for that of what we battle with i kept moving you around <laughs> it was a funny joke you're right over there <laughs> No, I I was supposed to be muted, and somebody <laughs> somebody said <laughs> that they couldn't get comfortable, and I was like, "Why?" And uh, it's a whole another sorted story. I'm doing two things at once. Multitasking with the, your uh, dog 
begging for something. <laughs> yeah, your dog. Your dog's giving you the googly eye. He's like, yeah, the, the whole vape. fucking time. I mean, <laughs> whole time this guy, right there. He's like what? This is what I'm supposed to do. No, not what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to stand there all creepy, like you're about to rip my face off. Little hellhound. Yeah, no, no that's not what you're supposed to do. But he would never do that, would you, Dexter? No, you wouldn't. Oh shit. <laughs> you're a good boy. <laughs> All right, that's enough. <laughs> so yeah, Shayra, I uh, I think I think generational distrust is a big part of this movie. It's a big part of the genre. That kind of, I think the genre was definitely there. That, that if we're being that general, that that genre was definitely there before Exorcist. But I think I think it really was magnified during the period of the Exorcist. That idea that the next generation is going to supplant us and put us into the grave. And so there's something wrong. We need to fix them, right? Think of like, another way of, of looking at the power of Christ compels you. Get backwards, go backwards, get back in there. Um, you know, uh, and I think the 60s and 70s were the time where that was probably manifest the most. Um, and you still see it in films today. Um, probably more overtly because films that, horror films that are made today are less um, self-aware, I think, then it's one of the things I'll give to horror films of old. I, you know, in this podcast, I think early on, I probably shit a little too hard all over the, the older horror films. And I only did that, I think, I just want to repeat this. I only did that, and, and the reason I selected newer films on my list is really because I get very skeptical of having and romanticizing the past classics in literature or in movies. There's a sense in which they're, they're good because they're like, we all know about them and they're old and that bugs me to no end. And so I, I, like, I like looking at things that are current that may in the future be things that um, have that same sort of status, but I want to talk about that now. You know, um, This film, I think, has enough going for it and has been so culturally impacting that it just doesn't fall into any category that I would criticize for some of the older films. Same thing probably for Wicker Man. Um, but yeah, so I, generational distrust is definitely a, a huge part of this film. And I think after this movie, you start to see it way more prevalent in more than just the horror genre. Yeah. And I think, uh, the real horror baby thing that, that got me was, uh, Pet Cemetery 2 with little Gage coming after, uh, his parents with a needle. Uh, that, that was, that was when I was like, oh shit, fuck all these kids. I'll punch them. I'll punch a, I'll punch a baby. I I, <laughs> I was ready to punch him. I'm literally just going to take that clip and I'm going to take it out of context. I, yeah. I, Shay was saying, I'm going to punch your baby. It's so matter, it. matter of factly, too. Just like, that's what I'm going to do. What's happening right <laughs> I'm now? I'm going to punch a baby. That's what I do. <laughs> like, no, I did. Like, I watched that. I'm like, I'll kick it like a football. I don't care. Like, the, the, Mac, the Mac truck scene in that film fucked oh. me up. The shoe going over. We. we uh, but that's exactly the same type of storyline, right? Like, so yeah. innocence lost, and then uh, the new evil that is rebirthed, is reborn of of, and, and that's in your ch own children. Your cute little baby boy, he was so cute, and now he's like pure evil. And it's the same story that keeps being repeated in in a lot of horror movies, horror books. Or TV shows. Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the I think the fundamentality of that is that it's it's a reminder of your your mortality. It's a reminder of your time left. Right. I I, I was talking to a mutual friend um, the other night that we all we all know um, from our philosophy group, and 
that that's a part of having a kid is that it's like a constant reminder. I mean, I don't have a, a kid, but I'm, I'm told that, you know, if you're thoughtful, you're going to have at some point in your life when that, that, um, that uh, your, your child is a baby, you're going to think oh, this is going to, baby's going to grow older and, and it's going to kind of look like me. And then I'm going to get older. And I, you know, you see the, it's this transfiguration from something you created to your demise, to your death. And it's a reminder of that to, to some degree, right? Like it's not the only thing. I don't want to deflate being a parent to just <laughs> a death machine or some shit, but um, it is though. That's yeah. literally what it is. That's literally what it feels like. Um, I make jokes that Kylie's like Shayra 2.0, right? But really what I'm saying is she's my replacement. <laughs> yeah. She's going to replace me. Her her DNA is is carrying on the message of Shayra. Shayra's gonna be like Shayra in like an hour. She's gonna be in there. The power of Christ compels <laughs> you to Kylie's room. I can see that happening. <laughs> but that's what these movies are like pointing out, right? Uh, we don't like to think about our deaths apparently in America. Like there's a lot of other cultures that are like they'll celebrate. They have parades and they're like ah death. Uh, and then we're like oh no. That's it's just playing on our fears. Honestly, a lot of these kinds of stories come from our culture of being fearful of death, fearful of the young people taking over, uh, the fearful of our traditions going away and, and our stuff being a thing of yesterday that will be forgotten. This is, that's part of our culture, honestly. It's I, a, I, I think something interesting about The Exorcist was that, that no other movie has really gotten it right like The Exorcist did when it came to like demonic possession or a, a compelling kind of story around demonic possession. Like there are lots of uh, imitators and people who emulated uh, this story because it was so compelling. Um, but I've, I've, I, I don't, I can't think of a single other film that has to deal with demonic possession that other than like Constantine and that, that doesn't even really get to uh, the, the level that The Exorcist gets to. But I haven't seen any other film that has done this well. Can you guys think of another film that's done? I immediately thought of Constantine when watching this again, right? Like, I, even the brooding kind of whatever, that was, you know, the priest. Um, the only performance that I can remember that I thought was phenomenal other than Linda Blair's when it came to possession was um, in The Exorcism of Emily Rose. I was just about to say that, yep. Like one, Jennifer two, three, four, Carpenter. Five, six, shit. Yeah, oh. Gen Jennifer Carpenter is the. That's the only one that I can name that comes close to The Exorcist. Is The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Yeah. But other than that, yeah, I've watched a lot of these uh, Exorcist films, and I've I've laughed. I'm like, oh, you're so cute. Look at you try. And then what's so angering about that is it deflates the 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 like like Josh was saying it it. It sullies the like the original. You know what I mean? Like it really fucks it up. Not only for the next generation who's going to start with those sort of movies, but for the the people who've seen the original because you, it's hard to get that shit out of your brain, right? When you've seen ten stab like movies and you go back and watch Scream, right? It's like ah ah. When you go and watch a million exorcism of Connecticut Emily Rose fucking an exorcism down the street sort of film, it's like. Okay, right. And then you go and watch the original and you're, you're just sort of tainted from all the newer ones. There's a sense in which that's a real shame. I, 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 We're sounding like old people now. Oh, we are. We, we are. kind of are old We people. just got to embrace. I mean, Josh started this earlier. He had that We At least one time during every weekly podcast, one of the co-hosts has an epiphany. You can see the light bulb go on over the head and they go, <laughs> fuck, I'm old. And Josh did it this week. Yeah. I did. I did. Yeah, but it's true. It's true. I, we are, and and you know, hey, we're not as old as the folks who uh, who uh, were alive and watching it in '73. Just throw it that way. You're not that old, are you? Hey, there Josh? you go. No, yeah. I'm not. Okay, that. I was not about to say. No, like, I know you're I was not alive in '73. Yeah. yeah. 
Thank goodness. Jesus Woo! fucking Christ. But oh my god, did you guys watch any of the uh, behind the scenes stuff of uh, this film? Uh, some of the old newsreels from this film? Uh, what happened? At the theaters, I did. I saw some old news shit about how the theaters were like pa packed with people and everyone Crazy. was throwing up and shit. Yeah. They actually gave out exorcist barf bags at the theaters because so many people are throwing oh, up. Oh, I want one of those. I, I heard they were passing out. I heard yes, they, people that, passing out, and like one guy were, knocked his head and actually got to sue them. They were passing out at your scene, Josh. My understanding is the scene in the it was the medical scene that was doing it. The throat uh, yeah. thing, um, yeah. at least in the interviews I saw, people were they couldn't. That was too much. Yeah. Actually, actually, actually. So you'll you'll love this. Um, the uh, actress that played the mom, Reagan's mom, um, was at a screening, and um, was sitting kind of in the back. And during the scene where the blood was squirting, um, an old woman just started coming up the aisle, and she could tell that this woman was kind of woobly and kind of moving like this. She could tell she's going to pass out, and so the the, ac the actual actress got up and and kind of held her, and she t fell back right on the actress and fell on the ground. And so the actress was saying, hey, we need some people to come over here. And it dawned on her as she's trying to like wake this person up and this person's starting to wake up that the first person this woman's gonna see when she wakes up is the mom from The Exorcist. And it, <laughs> like, and she thought this person's gonna die. They're gonna think like, they're gonna think they're in a nightmare. This is like, and so she like got someone else to come help like, and like moved away and shit. Isn't that wild? That was actually really thoughtful of her to do. Yeah, yeah. That would have scared the shit out of me. If I oh would pass God. out, wake up and see, no. <laughs> I think that would have been awesome. I probably wouldn't have passed out, but even if I did, I would be like, wow. Yeah, but you and the movie thing, and, <laughs> and you're here now. This is awesome. <laughs> have Best you story ever. Have you had a film do anything like that to you? Uh, like, actually, I don't think any of us here have actually passed out from a film, right? I don't think we're that dumb, but like, have you had anything like, like, what's the most visceral effect you've, like, what film gave you the most visceral effect? And it's probably, I feel like for some reason it's not even going to be a horror film. Mine isn't a horror film. It's um, Tears of the Sun. Ah. And um, when, uh, God, this is like one of the most horrible, horrible scenes in film for me. Uh, when the, uh, when Bruce Willis and his, and his team of elite soldiers were, standing outside of the village where all of these people were being chopped up with machetes and um, the people that they, that they brought in the, the, they were actually extras in the film and they were the elders of villages that had gone through these massacres. And they had this response to it. That was uh, this genuine heartfelt, Holy shit. We're reliving this thing where everybody's getting chopped to bits. And, um, you know, they get to this scene where uh, this soldier had cut off the, the breasts of this woman. And the, this other person explains that, you know, they, they, they believe that if they, if they cut off the breasts of the women, that they won't be able to feed any of the young. And, and that's how we'll, they'll exterminate us. And um, it, it made me physically ill and, and dizzy. I had to stop watching. And the first time I saw it, because I was so... Uh, so affected by that scene. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. And it seems like a lot of what does the work, it's a psychological thing too, right? Like that's not, that's not, you're not, that what's doing the work there seems to be the, just the, the raw thought of that kind of brutality and that kind of evil. Yeah. yeah for me, uh, it was Requiem. Oh yeah. And once again, the same actress, the mom from this movie we're talking about, uh, her, her storyline in that film 
fucked me up for weeks. I was walking around in a daze because of that film and because of her performance. And I was just like, I'm never touching a single kind of drug ever. No pills, nothing, nothing in my body ever again. Like it freaked me out. It, it truly fucked me up. It's such a fucked up film. The, 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 the scene in that film for me was at the end when they had the double-sided dildo and the guys are just sitting there counting the cash. And I was like, fuck me, man. That, that was another one that gets your, that got my blood pressure going. It was just fucking crazy. And the look on her face while she was doing this was just didn't, didn't give a fuck. Like it was, it was so fucking crazy. What a crazy scene. That, that whole film is so fucked up and uh, it, it still resonates with me like to this day, like there, the performances in it are phenomenal, but I don't get affected by film that much. Like not on that level, yeah. not regularly. What about you, Ben, besides the Sam Harris podcast, clearly, which makes you... Yeah, I mean, that's, every yeah. single episode is so triggering that I literally yeah. have to take a week <laughs> to myself and just take off work and hide in my bedroom in the dark and... I'm so glad that I have an ally on the Ben Harris uh, <laughs> hater wagon, by the way. Thank you. Um, no, I just... I, I've talked about it a few times, and, like, it, it is a horror movie, or I guess maybe. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's still going to be the seventh seal, right? And, like, I'm going to talk about that in every single episode we do from now on. Um, but whatever it is about that movie, it's not, um, something horrific, you know, it's, it's not something visceral, Okay. but something about the symbolic value there. And there are a few scenes where they're talking about Antonius block the night in that movie. Um, and while he's playing chess with death and like, sort of like the conversations they have and what other people have to say about that. And for some reason, whatever it is, and like, I have a hard time figuring out exactly what it is. But when I watch that, it, it just fucking destroys me. Like, I, I break down in tears and cry whenever I watch this movie. And it's the only uh, movie that has ever done that. Mm. Piece of art, only, um, you know, songs have done that. Uh, something about that movie just just gets inside me and just just destroys me. But, like, a funny thing, actually, just uh, since we brought it up now, Antonius Block, um, kind of like the main protagonist of this movie, Max von Sydow, um, Father Marin, same guy that plays in this movie. So, yeah, kind of funny. He's such a great fucking actor. Anybody who can resurrect Judge Dredd from the dead is (laughs) a miracle man, in my opinion. Like, Judge Dredd would have sucked without him as the Chief Justice. It just would have fallen completely flat. And when he showed up in Game of Thrones, I was like, yes, yes, he's here. This, This show is fucking official now. But I, I, it's what is the name of this film you're talking about? Ant- Antonius Block? The Seventh Seal, right? So we're doing it in two weeks, actually. It's on, uh, on our list to do for the podcast. I've never seen it, Ben, which I, this is, I'm really excited now. I've never seen it either. Yeah, it's uh, 1957, it is. Ingmar Bergman, black and white. I don't think there's an English translation, so you're going to have to read subtitles. Oh, um, I, love, I love movies with subtitles. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a Kurosawa fan, so. Yeah. It's it's um, in my list of 1001 movies, so thank you. You're helping me get two birds with one stone again. I appreciate it when you guys do that. Yes. So 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 I'll, I'll break mine into into two clips. Um, so for me, the the I, I I've never had a, a visceral reaction to the point of like The Exorcist, people leaving the theater and vomiting and shit. But um, I, I was nauseated in Raw this last year um, when I saw Raw. I didn't get really sick. I didn't get quite. It just I left and I was like ah something. Something ain't right. Like, which was, that's, that takes a lot of work, man, to make me even just go, ah, like, I don't feel good. I didn't throw up or anything. I just kind of left like, ah, that was nasty. Um, uh, the, the psychological analog to that is, and uh, 
this is may sound crazy to you guys, but is um, probably the least the the least um, expected scene you could think of in Event Horizon, where um, an actual audio geez, digital playback. So not that one. That's the obvious one, and that one's aw- fucking terrifying. Absolutely yeah, terrifying. Terif- absolutely fucking terrifying. Yeah, and everybody else in the panel's like, ha ha ha, whatever. Yeah. That was stupid. You yeah. and I though no. share a connection on Event Horizon. No, no. no. Oh, every time I get to that scene, nope, 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 nope. Yeah, and and because it's you know why, and I'm doing a video on this right now. Actually, I'm I'm in the midst of editing it. I th- and I where I talk about that scene. Um, it's 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 so left field. It's out of nowhere, and you don't expect it, dude. I was in the theater, and I I actually remember during that scene, people. I watched people curl up, like into a fetal position next to me when that scene came on because they were just like, oh my god, did that hit me out of nowhere? I think that was part of the 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 shock of that. And, and it's just fucking brutal. I, I made a video on this saying it was like Pinhead and the Xenobites pop some mollies and had some fun in space. You know, it's fucking crazy. But the scene I'm talking about is actually um, where Sam Neill's character being possessed by the event horizon places a bomb in the locker of one of the characters. And I think it's the doctor, I think, um, who is looking for the bomb. He's like, I'm going to go find this motherfucker. And he knows he's put something somewhere. And he opens the locker. And the look on his face. The look on his face. I, in all of cinema history, man, if you could sum up my fear of, of maybe death or, or I don't know, non, just, just death, non-existence. Just if there's any scene that encapsulates you're going to die right now, and here's what that means, it's that look on his face. And it's so, it's like, I don't know, two seconds. It's just the perfect scene. Uh, that I, I, scarred me for life, man. Scarred me for life. I, I think the one that, and Event Horizon did that for me too. We talked about this level, during the podcast and before it. But uh, I think it's on my list. Is blindness on my list? I don't know if blindness is on my list. But um, there's a moment in blind. Have you seen it? I have not. Uh, there's a virus that infects the world and turns them blind. Uh, it affects uh, everyone uh, differently and, and blinds everyone. So um, there's a scene where there's, there's, there's this grouping, there's this community that's inside of a shelter and there are blind people who have always been blind who are running the shelter because they know how to get around in the world. They know what to do. But just being blind, you don't know, like if you, if you were blinded right now, you would have a difficult time with it. But anyway, they're, they're, it's like this crazy uh, dictatorship that happens and the blind people are in control of all the food and uh the are the people who were always blind were in control of all the food and they had a gun and they forced the group of newly infected blind people the women of the group uh to have sex with the uh this other group who was oppressing them so they they raped all these all these women just so they could get food and during the entire scene it's only audio the screen is black and all you hear is these women being raped for to get food for the other group that was a fucking scene that scarred me for life you ever want to be really fucked up watch blindness you'll know what scene i'm talking about that actually made me really uncomfortable just hearing that (laughs) like that's that sounds awful (laughs) i made a cringe face i was like i even saw like i was like reacting and then i saw my reaction i was like oh i'm i'm being affected just by the description of that I'll, um, if you want me to, Josh, I'll add that to, um, to your list. I need to see what, which ones you it's, added, it's, but yeah. it's not, re- it's a, it's a horror film. It's suspense, but sure. that, that was the really only the true, truly horrifying moment for me. Like it was, 
it was a really difficult time in that movie for me. Before then, I kind of could have taken or leaving the film or left the film. Yeah. But when it got to that scene and the screen went black and all you heard was the audio of this stuff going on, it was like, it was awful. It was incredibly awful. That goes so, into stuff that we've talked about, though, when it comes to horror. Sometimes not seeing something is even more fucked up than them trying to you know, overdo it with makeup and effects and all this other stuff. Sometimes just leaving shit to your yeah. mind. Is we talked more about this in up. Creep. Remember we talked about this in Creep? Um, the scene where uh, Patrick Bryce, uh, the camera's off and he's talking to Mark Duplass and Mark Duplass says, look, I don't want you to record this. And he, he records it anyway, but he's got the camera down here and it's only audio. And he's talking about how he raped his wife, right? That scene where he, he says, I, you know, she, I know she liked animal porn and so I put a mask on broke in at night and raped her and the next morning we didn't talk about it like we just pretended nothing happened it's just the fact that was audio was one of the things we discussed is the most creepy fucking one of the most creepy parts of that movie it's interesting yeah our minds can kind of fill in the blanks and maybe they fill in the blanks a lot uh with a lot more detail than what a film could I think that this goes to the, the to the images that we create in our minds while we're reading. And, you know, we're looking at somebody's interpretation of literature or looking at their interpretation of a screenplay. And but when we're when we're reading, when when we're seeing it, we're imagining these things go on in our brains. And we know that a situation is terrifying or we know that a situation is beautiful or we know that a situation calls for a certain decor or whatever, whatever the situation is that the author paints for us we still we still interpret that in our own way that's why that that is the meaning of true art um and and i've talked about this before not only in film but in music in um in visual art in 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 whatever art you you decide that you think is art or whatever your definition is everybody sees something that's that they can pick out that's meaningful to them and during those scenes or reading reading a scene in a book you can, I'm going to imagine it in, totally different than somebody else does, or I'm going to imagine it the same as somebody else does. But the, the, the point is that that's what good art does. It evokes those images, and, it, and, it, and it, it starts the gears turning in our minds of creativity, and it uses our imagination in order to tell the this, this story for them. They're painting a thing, but we're really creating it in our mind. So I love this. I love those scenes where uh, where it's really dark and I can't see much, and I'm having to fill in all of the blanks. I like that, um, and I think that that gets to the true nature of art. When when a scene can do that for you, and you have to imagine all of these things in your mind, it's much more horrifying than if you're seeing this on film or on screen. And on the opposite spectrum, we have the opening part to The Exorcist here, where it was all visual and no dialogue and it was so powerful on that front too all the visuals told the story we don't need to know about pazuzu no you see the dogs fighting with each other and it's all you need and it shits back to the idol and and it just tells a fantastic story through pictures what was that line in v for vendetta actors use lies to tell the truth i think that that is that gets to the heart of what we're talking about too and, and that's such that's such the amazing thing when we're going through all these films, especially with horror film, uh, it's trying to get reactions out of you. Honestly, it is trying to get into into you. And there's all these different ways to do that, you know, whether it's with visuals, whether it's with sounds, whether it's with both. 
Um, and I can really appreciate when someone is good at all these things. Um, you know, when you, you have almost no sounds except for like dogs fighting and like weird breathing noises and stuff like that in the beginning. No dialogue uh, to let you know how evil this demon is. And then in other point, points where if you put a completely different soundtrack, <laughs> it would have been a happy moment when the mom's walking along on the sidewalk kids are playing tra la la <laughs> she's walking but that music you were like fuck this shit something's gonna go down with this bitch like this is not a good situation coming you know you just see that do 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 and you're like oh shit um what is it called tubular bells yep yeah yep. I, I thought, so. I thought when, you mentioned it before but I, I forgot if that was what it was called or not but whenever you have like room to interpret right there's a kind of this is why i i, I love the I was going to say the art, I might as well call it the art of Lovecraft, the, the, the literature um, and the novels and the short stories of Lovecraft are so great because there's just enough room for you to have that, that unknownness, that fear be whatever it is to you that you think the monster is, right? There's just enough description to give you a base set of, like a base understanding of the thing behind the curtain, but not enough to where you know what it is. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Michael Myers. And I, we've said this in other in other um, podcast segments, the unnamed beast, right? You don't really, you don't really know what Michael Myers is. He's a blank face. He's a, he's a, he's a thing that just slowly comes after you with this. There's a question mark when you look at Michael Myers. And, and I think that connects to Lovecraft. It connects to being able to get more, especially if you're a thoughtful person and an artistic person and you have a, a, a kind of art life in some, to, to really any capacity, being able to take that book and see from it the, the, the magnitudes of horror that are beyond what what's given to you through through cinema. I mean, with cinema, it, for the most part, you're you're being this is this is almost to some degree. I hate to connect these two. My one of my biggest criticisms with with my old worldview with Christianity was that it was less interesting precisely because it gave you the starting point and ending point of the reasons that you exist. You're part of a book that you can't change. The end is written. The beginning is written. You're part of a cosmic back and forth, and you can't really create your own story. You're part of one that's already written, buddy, right? And and it's more interesting. We, we look at that as film, right? You, this is, it's in front of you. You're given it. You have room, a little bit of room to interpret things and to, and to see things a certain way. But for the most part, we, we don't look at Reagan and see Barney. Right? We, 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 see, we see Reagan the way the director wanted us to see Reagan in, every, in pretty much every single way, down to specifics. In a book... I have really free reign to think for the most part how Reagan looks even given a description, given the way that they're talking, to visualize the room and the setting and the ambiance. To, there's way more plasticity to a novel, to, to literature. And I, um, yeah, anyway, I, it's, it's definitely not a diss on film, but as a, as a, as a mechanism, it, it, I, it does kind of suffer in a way that novels don't. I don't know. Yeah, Shara put it put up there in chat, Babadook, which which I think was a another great film that had that quality to it. A film that you should all see if you haven't seen it. It's called Last Night, and I that probably should be on my list. It's not a horror film per se, but you, you should you should check it out. It's a it's a Canadian film uh, about the end of the world, um, and it was directed by Don McKellar, uh, and it was it was done in 1998. Uh, but it's this amazing, amazing film. You all should check it out. Put it on your list. It's called Last Night. And I, I won't say anymore. It's just a really great film. Don't look it up. Don't read about it. Just watch it. I like those kinds of movies, too. 
like, I can't say a thing. Yeah, I uh, I made the mistake. I was hanging out with Scott, and I made the mistake of of I could tell I was I was asking him like what horror movies like he doesn't like horror movies, but there's particular scenes in certain films that scare him, and so he gave me those scenes, and I was like you know trying to like form like a like a prescription for horror films. Like, all right, here's maybe some you should see, and um and I I came to the conclusion that he ought to see Triangle, which I don't know if you guys have seen. I did a Ben Ben Carruth and I did a one on one podcast segment on this channel for that. It's to me the most underrated horror film ever, 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 ever. It's on Netflix. And um, and I totally blew like the part of the big twist. And I've, I have not forgiven myself for the last 24, like I feel awful, like genuinely awful that I, it's amazing how that works, that, that these experiences in cinema and in books and stuff can be so, can be so um, impactful and meaningful and shit. So like I accidentally blew, like a big part of the movie and it dawned on me as I said it and he caught it and I was like, mother fuck. Like I was so upset. I was so messed up. Anyway, anyway. It's fucking Ben Caruth. He's going to fucking catch it. <laughs> but it was like, oh my God, dude. Oh my God. But yeah, anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. No, I mean, I think, I think the important thing is when you watch a film that has this kind of impact on you, like The Exorcist did for me, it actually becomes a little bit of a part of you. And I, I find myself with movies and TV shows like that, that I'll just like throw out a joke or something about it. And it, it's almost like a test. Like, are you worthy of being a friend of mine? I'm gonna throw out a test, <laughs> like show my reference and see if they react, you know? But at other times it's just so, it just, it's such a part of you, you forget that other people might not know the reference. And you're just like, oh, I, oh. I just feel like everyone should have seen that by now. What's oh wrong my God. with you? <laughs> that happens to me so much because I'm I'm such a gigantic Harry Potter nerd that I'll I'll say things that are so obscure about Harry Potter that have been impactful to me. And even people who have watched the films are like, what the fuck are you talking about? And they'd be like, yeah, you, nah, not so I, much. I actually have a photo of Josh doing this. I, no joke, uh, in DC when we were at an Irish pub. <laughs> and it, uh, we took a, I had the, uh, I had like the, the bar uh, person take a photo of all of us. And it's during a time where Josh is explaining like part of the, the film difference to the not to the book difference to like four of us. And it's this photo where Josh has his hands up, very Italian, very la like he's like, he's like this. He's like doing some contortionist fucking Reagan shit, trying to explain shit. And they got the perfect snapshot of it. And that I actually still have it on my computer. I had to send it to you. Because the one I uploaded, she took like a few. But one of them is you like fucking Voldemort. And it's like you're frozen with like Voldemort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's why yeah. I said don't get him. Yeah. Don't. That's. Yeah. No, Harry really, I, I could literally talk about it forever. So. <laughs> Maybe that could be your next podcast. You just start yeah. a Harry Potter podcast. I'd want Nine it. hour. Nine hour Google Hangouts. Yeah. Oh, my God. I. I. I thought about doing this actually. I I wrote I wrote up this long thing that I was going to do about Prisoner of Azkaban and the problem with time travel and how it was such it was so irresponsibly done by J.K. Rowling. Um, and I and then I thought you know okay this is probably way too nerdy because I was looking at the shit online about this and people are not getting into it like I'm getting into it. So I just you know. Whew, the kibosh on that and so you just actually keep it... nerd raged harder than anyone has ever nerd raged before pretty much pretty much but <laughs> wow I decided that is hard that I was to do gonna... with harry potter too yeah i'm <laughs> it is pretty hard to do so but yeah no i uh they I, have I just a thought... theme park for that fucking thing. <laughs> yeah and who's been there this guy <laughs> so 
Uh, color me surprised. <laughs> Josh is like, there's like a time travel section. Like Josh is like graffitiing the fucking like. Exactly. I'm looking at the Hogwarts Express that they have there, and I'm like, dude, the color's all wrong. It's way I, I too fucking bright. I want to see him with his bright. glasses. He has to be pushing his glasses. Okay, so yeah. here's. Where I actually went there with Dark Matter and family. Oh, uh, nice. We went to we went to the Harry Potter land. You guys are such dorks. <laughs> yeah, but it. it's fucking awesome. We bought wands. <laughs> Ollivander's was in there. They have fucking butter beer that you can buy in a mug. The butter fucking beer? Are you but kidding? Is... They have the three broomsticks. That is like architecturally awesome. Like it's fucking. They got giant timbers on the on the ceiling, and it's all right. <laughs> Sorry. But this is, Damn but it, Sharon. Literally... Damn it. But this is literally what, you know, the embodiment of what we're doing is, right? Like, how many people do you know? I have never met a single fucking person like this, except for you guys, that would sit around and talk about one movie for about two hours every week. Like, not a lot of people are into that. They're like, I want to see a five minute. Just give me a synopsis. Tell me if you liked it. Fuck off. I'll just watch it. Uh, we talk about a movie for as long as the movie is, or longer. Yeah, at least, yeah. And so, horror, and horror, that's the thing. Horror uh, is the yeah. genre. <laughs> so that's, right. like, literally what we are. We're, we are big nerds. Like, The goal is to attain a level of horror nerdosity that is akin to Josh's level for Harry Potter. That is, uh, I have a, a light at the end of the tunnel that I got to hit now. That is a lofty is, goal. Yeah, years. It's going to take years. It's going to take years. So do we have anything else we want to add about The Exorcist before we attempt to even do anything like a score or a rating for this? Like, I, I feel I feel dirty even trying to score. I feel like The Exorcist should score me. Let's get meta for a minute. Right? <laughs> um, uh, do you guys have anything else you want to add? I would. Um, okay. So uh, one of the things I found out about the set of when they were exorcising the demons... Um, you see Jim Carrey every time every time you say yeah. that? Yeah, exercise the demons. the demons. This yeah. house is clear. Uh, I love Ace Ventura, and that is a sick, sad thing I should not have admitted. No, I fucking love it, too. It's one of my favorite I know it by heart. Films. I can quote it word for word when I watch it. That's how sad I am. But um... It's not sad. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Shikadance. Oh, I didn't see you there. Oh, no, what did you say? Hello, Satan. Hello, Satan. Ventura. <laughs> yes, Satan? Oh, Mr. Shikadance. Maybe I didn't he see needed that. The, maybe that's the demon he should have exercised the whole time, right? Um, he's oh my god, Mr. Shikadance is fucking Reagan in the future. Oh Jesus! I am the <laughs> devil. It's um, fantastic. <laughs> no, but uh, some of the shit that this director did to the people on set is fucked up. Um, but the main thing that I found super awesome, remember we were talking about, um, Let the Right One In, and how we were talking about that fake-ass, powdery, bullshit, dusty-looking snow shit, and the fake-ass yep. snow on the dust. Oh my god, don't even get me started. The director <laughs> was so obsessed with things looking real with The Exorcist, that he put a bunch of air conditioners in that room. It was literally a refrigerator, it was like negative 30 degrees, negative 40 degrees, so that it would get the real poofs of air. That's how obsessive that is and so wild, fucking isn't it? nuts this guy is. <laughs> like, That's awesome, though. I would have totally fucking done that. Okay, we're making a room. It's got to be super fucking cold in here. We got to be able to see the breath on film. All right? I want 
I want industrial sized refrigerators pumping air into this motherfucker until it is below freezing. I remember seeing a, a certain shot of Marin and he's got like ice all over his face. That's literally what happened to the actors. The moisture from their face turned into icicles and it snowed in this room at one point in time. Yeah, fucked up the equipment too. Fucked yeah. up the equipment. They had to re reshoot shit because of it, uh, which is crazy to think. It's awesome. His dedication's so great, and it's it's things like that. I'm. It's why I realize I'm so fucking spoiled, right? Uh, I watch these excellent films, and then I try to watch like a you know your basic film, and I'm like, look at this CGI bullshit. That doesn't look like fire. That doesn't look like snow. Fuck this shit. <laughs> like the elements are supposed to Im Im like get you all fearful and fucked up. Snow is scary. Fire. It's scary. it's interesting. It's interesting to to take those things as elements that make a film not, not just better or worse, but actually scarier. Because we this is so it's there's a quality there, right? That brings out or underscores some of the other elements that are that are fear inducing in the movie. And and a perfect example is the breath coming out of the priest's mouth. It, it you can I got cold as fuck when I was watching that in my bed. I you ever get like you put your new sheets on and they're already really cold. And I, I was and I was kind of just like getting sick when I started to watch. Like I, I just got over like a twenty four hour thing, so I had the chills. And I I was watching that scene, and I pulled the covers up like this, and I for like a minute was like I I look I've shriveled before, but I'm gonna tell you at one point I had to ask if I was a dude. I like legitimately was so cold. I was like I can't sit like this the rest of the film. And did I think a lot the, of it was. Yeah. Did you do the falsetto thing? Oh yeah, well that just comes naturally. I could have, yeah, I yeah, I could be. Let's just not go there. I I can do the okay. falsetto. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah. Uh, anyway, that's a good turn. That's that's Pizzazzo. Um, yeah. So so so. Uh, yeah, but it's it's interesting to think like because the same we said the same thing in the Event Horizon uh, podcast that it was um, the last great practical effects horror film. It was the last great practical effects horror film, and there there are really good parts of that in, in, Event, in Event Horizon and really bad parts of that in Event Horizon. But some of the good parts are ones that it wouldn't the film wouldn't be the same without it. And I think The Exorcist the exact same thing. But like the thing is, this director was so dedicated to his art form. People died. People were severely injured. People were permanently injured in the making of this film. Like he, that's how obsessive he was. And uh, you know, at the end when you have uh, it's bloody wonderful hero dying and he's like grasping to his friend to get prayed over his last rites and all that the way they got a good view uh, a good reaction from the friend is the director slapped him and then started filming he did it to a couple of people but that was he and this is an actual fucking priest he's like Pow! all right go like what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with this guy but it's beautiful I, i'm not even trying to like attack it but that's a really fucked up way of doing things um also he did a lot of special effects that he never told the actors about. What, what about the pea soup that got squirted? The pea, the pea soup, soup wasn't supposed to hit his face. Uh, in his face, and it got all in his yeah. mouth. Oh, no he, shit. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's a real no, no, reaction no. I, from the actor. And I bet you the director was like, all right, so we told him that <laughs> it's going to hit him in the chest. I want you to squirt this shit right in his mouth. See what he does. Oh, that so happened. That's so, amazing. And that, that's why he was so fucked up over it. He was like angry that it got in his face and in his mouth. He was like, fuck. Yeah, he actually is getting grossed out and pissed. But the thing is funny is there were people beforehand that tasted different kinds of split pea soup and looked at the consistency of different kinds of split pea soup. Campbell's was out. It oh, didn't. Shit. 
it didn't work for texture it didn't work for flavor they they went with anderson split pea soup uh it was perfect consistency and uh the perfect flavor it, it, apparently there's some like kind of oatmeal or something in it that made it perfect for them so that's what went right into his mouth was some uh, anderson split pea soup pff, right in his face and he's like he he jerks he, he like kind of snaps and then grossed out you know and it's like you're not supposed real. to get me in the face asshole yeah real reaction and they said it done one take the director's like okay done let's go do this next thing like asshole you He's think dead. about it that's so fucked I'd be up sniggering, it. like all night after that i feel like god that was great yeah like there's so like great. like william Friedkin like secretly breaks into the office and like looks at it like every few hours like, like, like no dude look rewind rewind this is what we shot today ah, oh <laughs> we told him we were gonna hit him in the chest with it <sighs> we totally fucked with him i i don't know if he's more of a prankster and gets the giggles or if he is just perfectionist oh, fuck. <laughs> he's like he's got to be a perfectionist real well i mean he he directed the, the french connection which is another really fucking good film really really one of my favorites film. oh my yeah God. Just, a, just a great movie and and i i think a good director does do that i don't know about physically striking the actors um but i i, I he went a long way for his art which is commendable in my and, opinion and interesting we, we benefit uh, from it an interesting thing I found out about the author of The Exorcist. He was a fucking comedian. The whole time he's only written comedies. He's only done stand-up. He's only done comedy. And all of a sudden he's like, you know what? I'm going to hoard myself away in a cabin in Encino and just write at night. And that's so much better movie. though. Like that's such a cool story that someone who doesn't, it's not their, it's not their primary craft and they create something to that degree that they create something of that magnitude and they don't expect it and it's it's like their first real shot at it and they never really give it the light of day they just send it off when they're done and it becomes this own thing that that's that's like the ultimate story to me the ultimate success story i, I think it would be less of a thing if he had spent his whole life trying to do this and they finally got that one i mean that's still monumental but like to know ah well I do comedy my whole life and I'm fairly successful. I'm going to give this a shot, lock myself away for what was it like 12 months or something in a, a little place in, in, in SoCal and, and send it off. And Angela, bam, bam. Angela Lansbury's, uh, Oh, she actually owned it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cabin. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> All right. So, so, so I got to ask, um, how scary is this movie to you in terms of what it means for you to be scared in a film? I think we all have varying degrees of what that means. I think we're learning that. Um, how how scary is this film now to you? I feel like it's going to be kind of low. It Are we doing me. a rating? Is there a one to tening it? Yeah, let's one to ten it in terms of the fear factor. We usually do the fear factor and then the cinematic quality. Let's do that. Let's let's rate both of those in terms of like the 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 piece of art element of it, and then just how scary it is to you and whatever fear means to you when it comes to these sorts of films. Well, for me, I guess I'll go first. For me, it's probably about a four. When it comes in terms to, of fear, okay. it, it comes to fear, and the only reason it's a four is because of the fucking hospital scenes, because of the testing <laughs> scenes, because it. That, that just touches a nerve and it was done so well that you could you you felt yourself in that position suffering so uh for me the fear part of it was probably a four the the intellectual artistic part i'm i i would give the exorcist an eight uh probably an eight eight and a half 
it was a phenomenal movie. It has always been a phenomenal movie. It stood the test of time and it has created some really interesting images and strange dichotomies that you have to work out on your own and uh, and touches on uh, a thing that I think all films should touch on, which is a, uh, the vastness of the human condition. What about you, Ben? Yeah, in terms of the scariness, I'm not going to have to rate it very high either. Um, you know, I would agree that uh, artistically it's good with scariness. Like maybe, I, I don't know, like I, I might uh, – you guys are going to hate me. I might even give it a three because it's oh, I get it. No, I mean, it, it's, it's not so much scary for me as it is almost like frustrating and irritating. Like, I mean, I know we sort of briefly touched on the, the problem of evil earlier. Um, didn't really get into it too much, but I think it kind of speaks for itself. Right. You know, when you talk about that, you have this situation where you have a priest losing his faith. You have a, another priest who is clearly troubled by his life experience as he's taking medication. There's something going on with them. And you also have this little girl who, through no fault of her own, completely innocent, is now possessed by this monster who could very easily have killed her, um, who in fact did kill other people as her, which could have gotten her and in, in entirely ruined her life. Um, but to like sum up that entire situation, it's really like, it's almost like, why did this have to happen? Right. And I know that you guys interpreted the ending a little bit differently. You know, you got a resolution out of this. I, I really stick by my guns and say that I feel like there isn't a resolution, at least for me, because at the end you have this person who sacrifices themselves. They take on the burden and they give the ultimate sacrifice to save this little girl. And it's very noble, but it's also very sloven moral. And like you get this kind of like stereotypical Jesus figure, this Christ figure who becomes the star by saving everyone else who who sacrifices and therefore becomes kind of like this this deified focus of of you know heightened morality and, and whatever. But ultimately it's like, why does the point to me is that like that didn't have to happen in the first place. Yes, the sacrifice is beautiful, but the fact that it had to have happened at all is unexcusable, um, right? So, you know, I still get kind of like super pissed off <laughs> about the whole thing. It's like, you know, yes, there may be some ultimate point to to having sort of that that goodness come out in people. And, and you kind of get to see that that sort of silver lining because of the bad parts, but still it's 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 a little too much like i you know i just i just don't think it uh i just don't think it flies so not really scary to me more like frustrating and irritating and kind of reflective of my own problems with the church so that part gets a three um artistically speaking though yeah i mean it's really incredible it's extremely well done i have a lot of respect for method acting and practical effects um super cool um and on that aspect you know just because it really is enjoyable to watch and it because it, it definitely evokes something um, I might give that aspect, you know, maybe a six. So like overall, I, I think the, uh, the more important aspect for me, like, even though it does have kind of like this deeper message that I sort of, sort of draw out of it, the part that I feel like is more important for me is kind of like, it's the way that it's done, right? It's not necessarily what the art, the, the artist is trying to do. It's the way that he did it that I think is really cool. So I would weight the six a little more heavily than the three and maybe overall I'll give it like, like a five. Cool. Uh, every time you say Sklav and Moral, I just, it's, uh, my heart just flutters. It's just perfect. And you're right. There is some of that in there, uh, in this, but, uh, that's interesting. I don't think that's a low rating at all. I mean, my, I'd give this in terms of the fear from, for me now, I'd give it a four. 
Um, and that's, so one of the things we should probably say is that the lower the score I think we give for things like fear, it's not an indicator of how bad the film is. I mean, Jesus, we're talking about the fucking exorcist here. Um, I think it's, it's, there are people that I think most, if we brought in plebs, like people that just kind of, you know, just the random person off the street, that was really condescending. Wow. Uh, yeah, we'll call them plebs. Get in here, pleb. We bring them in and, and we say, hey, uh, exorcist. They're going to say, oh my God, 10, 10. And they're going to, you know, go do what plebs do. Uh, most people would say that this is like a nine or a ten. I think in terms of the fear, I really would give it a four. Um, but I think that's because I just I don't I no longer and and I used to think those things existed. So you think that that would still maybe my score would be somewhere in like the sixes or sevens or something. But um, no, uh, it it just didn't do that for me. Uh, even the hospital scenes they were a little visceral, but it didn't. That's not that's not fear to me. This is what we kind of went through last week um, with Antonio's film. Fe fear when I scored the w the Wicker Man a little low in terms of the fear element, because fear for me is I need that unknownness. And demons are known things. Um, they're theological entities. They're a part of a larger religious apparatus. They're things that I've studied. I've done Bible studies on. I've taught Bible studies on. They're things that are are maybe intangible and abstract and scary in that sense, but they're known. And fear for me is, is things that I don't understand, things that I don't get, um, question marks, that sort of that sort of gray Michael Myers face, take that and, 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 and put it anywhere else. That's why I, Lovecraft freaks me the fuck out so much. That's why, uh, that's why It Follows is probably, probably if I'm being honest, my favorite scary movie almost ever. Um, and it's very recent, uh, which I know is breaking all the, all the rules here. But it, that has, it, it takes that, thing and and um uses it in a way that that it's like that film was made to just scare me like that's the way i look at it so for me this film didn't have that unknownness thing it had a very known thing so i'll give it a four in terms of the cinematic quality i get so nervous again just like wicker man trying to rate 70s <laughs> films in this um i i gotta give it like an eight uh, just the, the depth of field usage on certain scenes with like the, the and you mentioned this with even the scene with um, with Reagan listening to her mom on the phone where it pans over. There's the, the depth of field and that is great um, in the beginning, especially when you're, you're looking at um, uh, the father juxtaposed with the statue. Um, you can see it in the background. It's 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 really scary. In fact, I think it's scarier than a lot of the sequences with Reagan now, um, in, in my view now. Um, give it an eight in terms of the cinematic quality. Um, and I would give it a probably a four in terms of the fear, uh, which is interesting because we're such assholes in this podcast that we have literally rated The Exorcist as the least scariest film so far that we have reviewed. I love that. I love that. If there is a hell, we are all going there. Amazing. What about you, Shaver? This was your film. So so I'm really curious. Um, no, I know why you picked it. Uh, it's cool to have kind of the past that you've had with it. I'm really curious what you would rate it in terms of the fear element, along with uh, the cinematic quality of it. So when I first watched it, it scared the ever-loving fucking shit out of me. Like, I damn near pissed myself. Uh, but that had a lot to do with my religious background and the blasphemy and the curse words and, you know, all that shit. Uh, it really fucked me up. Um, having watched it again, obviously, it doesn't really impact me as much in my current state of mind. But it does scare the shit out of me for other reasons. Um, for instance, uh, the idea that um, I could lose control of a situation when it comes to my daughter. Um, that she could be taken over by something or someone. And that there's nothing that I could do to help her. And she's continuing to hurt me and being a toxic person in my life. And how do I deal with that? That is a very real fear that parents have, like, especially parents of teenagers have yeah. um, all the time. It, it's 
some especially like at that age of 14 it's that's this is when this happens so i'm like when is it happening when is it happening so it kind of impacted me a little bit more on that level i never really thought about it then but i definitely think about it now uh but the other thing that scares the shit out of me with this movie is how much it has impacted religious people and their toxic bullshit ways of thinking about uh the external things in life that are not there um and i remember talking with um uh, proportional response. Um, I don't know if you guys remember him back in YouTube days. I remember talking to him about uh, a lot of the viewpoints he had about demons and religious iconography and how it like it gave him panic attacks, nightmares. He it it, it was debilitating. Those beliefs were debilitating for him. It absolutely destroyed him. Uh, getting out of that viewpoint actually saved him because he couldn't function with that viewpoint. So when I watch films like this and I feel like it could possibly negatively impact people, that scares the shit out of me. So the things that scare the shit out of me with the movie now aren't really necessarily the elements of the movie, so I can't give it a rating for that, but I was watching it and I was uncomfortable. Oh, and the, the, with his mother. Oh my god, I, 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 like, I turned to Kylie and I was like, if you're ever in the point where you need to put me in a crazy house because I need to get help and you can't afford it, just put a pillow over me, smother me, kill me. Do not let me die that way. And of course, that was the thing that made him feel guilty. But, you know, when Kylie's seeing this house, this like room with all these crazy people like hanging and pulling on him and stuff. And she has this tear coming down her eye and she's like, why did you do this to me? I'm just like, fuck this shit. It, it fucked me up. And so there's like gener there's like generational fears for you in this all over the place from the mom to the daughter. Oh, That's yes. really interesting. Yeah. That was real too, wasn't it? They they went to an actual asylum yes. and they filmed actual patients in the asylum. Yes, and that's why you, you can tell. Like you can watch it and you're just like, fuck this shit, I'm out. You just bye. Like you want to get the fuck out of that situation. Um, there were things that really fucked with me on a different level, not in like the ooh scared me, but yeah. just kind of I I can't deal with it. So it's I have a hard time rating the fear factor because. I don't get reactions from a lot of scary like I didn't get react reactions really from it follows. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was more like, ooh, it's gonna get you, you know. But this one I was like, oh no, fuck that squirt and blood shit. No. What is that thing? No, uh uh. Like the whole time I'm just like, nope. Nope. I, I literally need to take that little segment of ooh, it just scares you and put that on my it follows uh <laughs> analysis. That's the whole film right there. That is that's Yeah, pretty much. That's pretty much it. That's, a, that's about as interesting as that film is. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I mean, it's fun, but it's like it's gonna get you. It's walking slowly towards you. It's gonna get you. Like that's the movie, right? <laughs> so um but this movie, I was just like, oh my god. What is the future with my child going to be? What is the future with me in my old age with my child going to be? You know, what is what is my future going to be with this? Um, so it, it, it impacted me in a way I did not think it would this time R around. Rate the fear. Rate the fear. <laughs> I feel like it's going to say it. too much about me. No one's going to fucking Do be it. like, I'm rate, judging rate you. It. I, I would love for all of us to have rated it three, four, you know, five or six. And it's then not going to happen. And hear you say like 10. I it just, I want to hear it. I want to hear some got, high number. I got kind of scared. So I'm going to give it a seven and that's so lame. <laughs> it scared the shit it's out of me. It's not lame. It's a subjective thing. People are, yeah. people are fearful of, of different things. So, uh, I mean, it's, I do it, not want to die in a place like that. And I, I, I literally did turn to my daughter and I was like, just smother me with a pillow. 
just fucking just get it done. I cannot go to those places. And what's weird is I did recently watch a film where a, a parent told their child that. Like, don't let me ever end up in a home like that. Smother me with a pillow. And the child does that in the film. And I was like, oh my god, that was so sweet. I cried. I was like, oh my god, best child ever. You know? I was... <laughs> Which I don't want to be fucking... suffocated. Fuck that. I have a special gun just for this occasion. You take it right? out of the box, put a pillow over my head while I can still breathe. It's got like a solid got, trigger. It's got like a Slytherin logo on it. Like, it's all decked out. <laughs> it probably does. <laughs> but don't like, judge me. But this is like the euthanasia stuff. You know, we, I really hope this stuff is not a problem for our generation. I hope we all figure it out and our states legalize this shit. Because this is a fucking fear of mine. To, to just die a slow, horrendous, painful fucked up in some weird white room with a bunch of crazy people death i don't want it like i'd rather go out fighting or or just go to sleep around my family members like i cannot with this shit so yeah it fucked me up okay i'm really curious i'm really curious to see how the rest of your films sort of play into that that if they're all going to have that kind of um like uh like uh bodily uh uh, degradation and generational stuff. Like I, 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 when I was looking at your list, that's starting to make sense now. So I'm just kind of like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah, uh, and maybe that that is really what my fears are. Like I just need to die with some fucking goddamn dignity, motherfuckers. Like, yeah, I for me, it's I don't I don't give a shit how I die. It's how I live that scares me. You say that now till you get eaten by a shark, motherfucker. <laughs> no, oh at God. least that would be interesting. Do you remember? Do you remember <laughs> Joshua Frost? He, that motherfucker was eaten by a shark. <laughs> yeah, but then Can you like... fucking believe that. And I hope somebody films it, like me being torn apart by a great white shark. <laughs> if that were ever to happen, Josh has like a half smile on his face <laughs> in between. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah. yes, here I go. Woo! Great fire. Visibule. He's gonna be like eight seconds. Eight seconds. <laughs> I, I can truly get behind that. That's fucking amazing. <laughs> no, but like, I I can understand wanting to die in a crazy death, but I don't know. <laughs> that sounds horrific. Anything, anything, but and you know, I've noticed nobody on the list so far has done. I don't think we have a single zombie film on our list, which is the fear of the opposite of everything we're saying, which is that slow never-ending banal existence the work day that never ends right that's the zombie genre and i don't think any of us selected a zombie i film. don't think we have that fear though it's so interesting well, that's so interesting didn't, isn't isn't okay two things isn't pontypool kind of like kind of like that oh oh yeah okay and, yeah Pontypool's and i'm, I'm like pretty sure that. that somebody suggested train to busan the other day me i suggested. oh that. that's on is no you're right so we do yeah i'll but, get pontypool the zombie one but yeah train to Bazan is definitely a zombie but train one. So to Bazan, we do it is a zombie one but that's not what makes me scared but we could get into that if we do the film all right all right um, i like that but uh as far as cinematography and all that other stuff oh my god i love this movie so much uh definitely a nine so many icon uh, like like icons in there like my daughter had never seen the movie but she's like, I've seen that somewhere. Like, so many times she said that. And, and they're beautiful shots. Um, even the stuff that I forgot. Like, I kept, I did a little bit of an experiment with this film, and I kept pausing. Every single shot is so beautiful. So much work went into every single shot. And then the behind the scenes, we know that this guy's meticulous. And yeah, I was going to say, this is, this so... <laughs> is the director that slapped people. So, yeah. yeah. So, it's it's beautiful. It's um, It's one of those really amazing films where you could literally pause, and it's, there's another work of art. Pause there. Oh, beautiful. 
Perfect. Look at the framing. Holy shit. Uh, and you can see all, like, if you study art, even just art 101 type of class you did in middle school, you're like, yep, yep, there's that, there's that, there's that element. Boom, boom, boom. Um, it's, it's great. I love it. Um, the storytelling was amazing. The fact that you could tell a story with dialogue or without dialogue. Um, and all the character development was fucking phenomenal. Where you see, like, this very confident, strong woman. She's raising her daughter on her own, and she's, like, falling apart by the end. You have this really sad, dark character, and he's like, I'm a hero at the end. Like, there's so much character development. It's so fucking well put together, and I love it. The lighting is amazing. I not once did I complain about the lighting, which is usually my big complaint with horror movies. They're like, I'm going to add a tint, or I'm going to make it really dark over here, and that's going to make it good and scary. But really, it just looks like garbage. You know what I mean? So, uh, love this film. Love it. Cool. Do you guys have anything else you want to add about the film before I close out? Cool. So, uh, thank you for watching. We had a good amount of viewers this time, the whole time, actually. Um, they stayed pretty much with us the whole time. Usually people jump in and out, but uh, everyone kind of stayed this time and we had a couple questions. So, uh, if you like the show tonight, um, be sure to check out our episode next Sunday night. We are doing, uh, we're keeping everything in the seventies. It seems we're doing, um, invasion of the body snatchers, 1978, uh, which is a really, really awesome movie. Um, and I, I think it's, I think it's Antonio's, but I think we're doing that. And then, um, we're moving on to, I think we're going to go, I, it, we're, we've been saying the seventh seal a little too much to not have that be one of the next ones. I kind of want to skip a couple and do the seventh seal next. So we'll probably do next week, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and then the week after that, um, the seventh seal. So check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We post stuff there um, usually. It's usually me posting my face because I like to see myself. It's the thing that I have. Um, so my Instagram for daily analysis is just me doing the duck face. So if you like that, if that appeals to you, check us out on Instagram. Um, and uh, tune in next week. Hope you like what you saw, and uh, have a good night.